Hi, I'm Tom Chick. You know me as the guy who tells you what a movie got on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. This is a hard job. It involves remembering the Earls for Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, Box Office Mojo, and recently, CinemaScore. I guess I could bookmark them. But now, for the 2017 Make Us Watch Whatever You Want fundraiser, you have the opportunity to choose a movie for me to look up that stuff for. All you have to do is donate at least a dollar. Every dollar counts as one vote toward the movie of your choice, and it can be any movie. Past winners are Why Did I Get Married 2 and The Goonies. Now you can add to this distinguished list the movie of your choice. It can even be a cartoon or a documentary, which isn't a movie, so you could have us watch something like Finding Dory. Or that weird thing about the, the tickling competition. Have you seen that one? It's weird. It's really weird. The tickling one, not, not Finding Dory. I don't actually know if Finding Dory is weird. I haven't seen it. Donald Trump has. That's a true story. So donate before March 11th, 2017 to 3x3 at com on PayPal. That's 3x3 at quarter3.com. The same email address you use to submit choices for 3x3s like favorite dungeon, favorite non-faked physical gesture, that sort of thing. You can also just go to paypal.me slash QT3. Now make sure when you donate to pick your movie in the comments section. Otherwise, I'm just going to assume you meant Jaws. And remember, every dollar you donate counts as a vote. So for our March 12th, 2017 podcast, we're going to roll up a random number that will determine what movie we'll be doing for our March 19th episode, which will go down in history as the 2017 Make Us Watch Whatever You Want episode. So thanks for your support. And seriously, that, that tickling documentary, it's like seriously weird. Don't watch it with your parents in the room or anything like that. Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for John Wick, Chapter Two. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Murkowski. You can just call me the sommelier. And with, oh, you wish, Dingus. And with <laughs> our John Wick Chapter 2 tagline, or two, or three, who knows how many, we've got Kelly Wand. His candle doesn't just burn at both ends. It fucks up the whole cake. <laughs> <laughs> I like where I you're going. I don't, if you open that strong, Kelly Wand, where do you have to go from there? What's another tagline? No, I got for John These Wick. are all, this may be chapter two, but the amount of bullets John Wick shoots this time is also higher than one. <laughs> Wait a minute. That was, okay. What? That was more His last name. There was some humor in it. Yeah, he just had to wait a long time. Yeah. That's the wand promise. <laughs> What's a third possible John Wick tagline? His last name may sound like weak. But it's spelled with a different vowel. <laughs> this time, the Merovingian's Italian. Hey, nice one, Kelly Wand. I like wow. that one. 
I don't think the guards realize they're in a movie called John Wick Chapter Two. Now I don't—that's a tagline, right? Yeah. Okay, good, because I don't know if that was you, just Kelly Wan, saying that, and you accidentally said a tagline. That was a good tagline, though. I like that one. His best since chain reaction. <laughs> oh, come on. What? All right. You don't like chain reaction? You know, I haven't seen it. Before. That's the uh, ice cream truck driver one, right? Uh, he runs away from a water explosion on a motorcycle. Right. Is there something about though, an ice cream truck that has to keep a bunch? It's like speed, but with temperature. That's Assault on Precinct 13. No. Ice cream truck? Wait, you think speed was an ice cream truck? No. And you had to keep a, the temperature down? Or no. The bomb there's, a, there's a Keanu Reeves <laughs> movie where there's a bomb that they have to transport in, like, an ice cream truck, and it'll go off if the temperature goes above a certain uh, level, right? Yeah. Isn't, that, isn't he with Morgan Freeman or something? Yeah, that's not Chain Reaction. Yeah, I, think I don't remember the ice cream truck and the temperature thing sounds insane to me. But I really, I hope you're right. I'm dumb. All right, I can't remember. I, any, I don't remember anything that memorable in Chain Reaction. I'm positive Tom's right about this. Ice cream truck? Yeah. All right. Maybe not. You guys sound pretty solid on it. Yeah, it's two to one, Kelly Wan. We our alternate facts outweigh your alternate facts. Hmm. Chain Reaction was about an ice. It was about an ice cream truck. So with the, and the, temp, the temperature has to stay at 55 miles an hour or the bomb goes up. <laughs> other than you not quite having the measurement straight, yeah, pretty much that. that kind of and thing. he's a scientist. Uh, I don't know about that. Let's not push things now crazy. Don't like get Denise too crazy. Richards. No, you're getting too crazy. Kelly, please, this is a John Witt podcast. Stop <laughs> hijinxing. Kenny Reeves was a oh. convincing doctor in, oh, shoot. What was it, Dingus, where he's got a small part Heart of the doctor? He's what a dentist it? in, um, like, Thumbsucker or Chum Scrubber, one of those movies. Thumbsucker Proxy. Yeah, I do. Who are we talking about? I think it's Thumbsucker. Okay. But I thought something like, you know, The Gift, he's the abusive boyfriend, but there's one. Yeah. He just comes on, and it's like, hey, Keanu Reeves will be playing your doctor today. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm okay with that. Was it Dr. T and the Women or Mr. T and the Women? That's Richard Gere, Kelly Wand. Mr. <laughs> It's just a podcast of me trying to remember something. Well, let's do a podcast about the movie we saw this week. Which dingus is what? Uh, This week we saw John Wick, colon, Chapter 2. A 2017 American neo-noir action thriller sequel movie about a pencil and a marker. Neo-noir, please. (laughs) It was direct. It was directed by Chad Stahelski and written by Derek Kolstad based on characters created by Derek Kolstad. Oh, wait, why did we have to point that out? I don't know, but that's a new thing that the Writers Guild is doing. <laughs> What's so the new we, thing? Ne- mentioning it, who, mentioned, who invented characters? Even, yeah, though even if it's writer. the same dude. Yeah. yeah. So it was written by Derek Kolstad writer. based on characters created by Derek Kolstad. And then it characterizations stars, aren't part of writing. God. He didn't it didn't say based on characterizations. Oh. oh. Okay, then it's good. Then they so if everybody it. else if, if all these all these parts had been recast, they still would have been the same characters. Hmm. Mm. It stars Keanu Reeves, Ian McShane, Ruby Rose, yeah. Lance Reddick. <laughs> Peter Serafinowicz, 
Ooh. Uh, and Thomas Sadowski. That. Wait, which one's Thomas Sadowski? He's Loki in Avengers. No. You're fired. He's, oh. he's Jimmy. Come on. Oh, Jimmy. <laughs> okay. I was glad to see that guy back. Guess like. Guess like. Last time I think it was a uh, um, a noise complaint. Noise complaint. The same is the same bit of pattern. All right, so John Wick Chapter Two is rated R. PG thirteen. Oh, huh. No, it's rated R. Wouldn't have guessed. Or strong violence throughout. What? Some language. And Kelly one's going to love this part. Brief nudity. Wait a minute. So Who's now the, the back, a woman's back is nudity. <laughs> it's nude if it's nude iffy. Nude iffy. All right. Uh, Kelly Wand, what did they miss? There are other things parents should maybe know about. You're really good at picking up the slack when the MPAA can't quite suss out what parents They're not very know. good at it, in my yeah, opinion. So, so what, what did they leave off? I know more than them because I'm a parent. Lee Dumb. Uh, <laughs> improper wrist slashing technique. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's Don't not go true. horizontal. Huh? She didn't. Didn't she do it vertical? No, didn't. She didn't. I or think I'm, it's back me up on this. Didn't she do a sort of a vertical cut? What are you talking about? If her blood said, temperature goes above 55. Oh, no, yeah, no. She did it vertically. Yeah. Yeah. It was she, proper. she held her hands above her head. I mean, that's what's so uh, so dramatic about that. But All Kelly, right, well, Wan, that, this... that in and of itself should get an MPAA uh, warning that there is proper wrist slashing technique. Yeah, but then if they're doing it right, then it's a G-rated movie. <laughs> Okay. Well, what else did they miss? I'm sure there were other things. Uh, adult situations. Well, I'm not. I, that one I take issue with. I don't. I don't recall. Thematic elements. Right. Okay. All right. What was the adult yeah. situation? Uh, you got to pay your hotel bill, <laughs> and you can't shoot someone in the diner, in the okay. restaurant, while they're eating eggs. Otherwise, John Wick is pretty in tune with juvenile fantasies. I'm not sure. They don't teach you stuff in school that they should teach you, like stuff like that. They just teach you stupid-ass math. Uh, well, let's see. John it's Wick. never of use. Critics kind of liked John Wick. It's, it's got 90% of the reviews are positive. So it's just a few points shy of Mad Max Fury Road. Imagine that. Oh. Uh, Similar. Metacritic. The average rating on Metacritic uh, puts it at 75 out of 100. Idiots are kind of into it. It's A-. minus. Mm. Which I believe, I meant to look this up, I believe that is up from the initial John Wick. So idiots... Idiots are very specific about whether something's a minus grade. Well, that minus makes all the difference, because if you don't get an A on CinemaScore, you failed. Uh, So that minus makes a deal. If you're just a B plus, oh man, where did you go wrong? You need to focus group that stuff more. So, but it's the one time idiots get an A on anything. Well, they're giving the rating. They're not getting ratings, Kelly Wand. Idiots always get an F. I give them all They get F. Fs and give As. Yeah, exactly. Kelly Wand, I think you're, you're figuring this out, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, I just John, was thinking about it as math instead of letters. Well, speaking of math, <laughs> did not do that, that well. Fine. Actually, it did fine financially. It did better than the first movie. But it opened at number three. It chose a very bad weekend. It went up against and completely failed against uh, Lego Batman and Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> Wait, Fifty Shades beat John Wick? It did. 
because it was about oh, yeah. Valentine's Day release. I so I think that. Yeah, it was that's terrible. fucked up. Ladies, please. <laughs> they didn't want to see. Think about the children. They didn't care to, to see Keanu Reeves punching people in the face with a gunshot. Really? They wanted I to think see. they need to reevaluate that decision. Hey, Mr. Christian was ready to see them. The sex scene where uh, between Keanu and the brief nudity Italian lady, that's like a Fifty Shades. Like, you get both in this movie. But in Fifty Shades, not there's a sex no gun. It was not a sex scene. That was a hand job. He did theater from behind. Kelly, you're spoiling it, so why don't you just go ahead and spoil it all out with... If you're going to spoil things, keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I imagine this is going to be called a John Wick Chapsopsis Tupsis. Oddly, that is what it's called. Thank you. Thank you very much. John Wicksis Chapsis Tupsis. <laughs> While I take a booster hit and try to remember how the first movie ended after something something Theon in a parking lot, a guy in a car tricks a guy on a motorcycle into crashing. Although the camera angles are vague, by the end I'm certain that the car driver and motorcyclist are both John Wick. The car guy takes something off the motorcyclist that looks like a brooch made out of pewter with rhinestones in it. In Latin on the back, it says, good for one movie plot with happy ending or massage without. Some John Wick music plays. I look over at the dead guard sitting beside me and go, yeah, his band's called Dog Star. I guess you could say he's serious about his music. Mm. In a cigar room by an evil... Russian garage, a guy with Asian hair asks a Russian smoking a Cuban, wait, who are we again? Why are we putting poker chips into car trunks? The Russians all, because my nephew Theon killed John Wick's dog and we have his car. John Wick, he killed three men with a pencil. Who makes a movie about that? I heard it was five women with a crayon. Mom, whatever you think... Whatever you've heard you think about the drinks he makes while he's offering you peace, believe me, they are watered down. John Wick is a force of will. He's a geisha. He's really interesting. He's like the mechanic, but with a beard. Wait, why do we have his car? Shouldn't this part have been in the last movie? It feels kind of chapter one-esque still to me, story-wise. Don't worry, I have a plan to make peace with John Wick. I will simply call him right now on the phone and offer it. I meant to do so a few minutes earlier, but I was enjoying our conversation. As he picks up the phone, John Wick somehow gets past all Russian car cartel security, finds his car by noticing the shape of the tarp is similar to those covering the other hundred nearby, then drives around smashing into all the other cars because he cares about his car. When he's done, he comes up into the Russian's office, shoots the guy with hair, pours a couple glasses of Zima, and goes, I come in peace. He toasts, tries to finish one of the drinks, and walks out. The Russian sighs affectionately and has some fun with his glass. Some words are all John Whipsis, Chopsis to Popsis Soapsis. <laughs> Beside me, Dingus stands up and shoots someone in the leg. <laughs> Keanu, kick, Keanu tricks other motorists by somehow getting his destroyed car home and parks it in his driveway while some neighborhood kids point and cheer the driveway. <laughs> 
He goes inside and gets into bed. A giant dog that's moved in since he left jumps up on the bed, farts in his face, and loses interest. Keanu's all, good dog. The next day, the only mechanic John Wick can afford is John Leguizamo. Leguizamo, in his Mario Brothers outfit, parks his tow truck, looks up the car, and goes, it'll be fixed by the next movie. Keanu's all, cool, when it's done, you can have another scene with Hoskins. He goes inside, puts all his guns back in the hole under his cellar, then spends ten hours pouring cement into all of them and filling the hole with it, which he laboriously evens out while the dog stares at him, obviously nonplussed by his technique. There. Last Uh time I cemented my guns prematurely, but since my life only has one chapter, this time I've thought of every... His doorbell rings. It's the Merovingian in ten cars full of bodyguards. He's all... Hello, Mr. Wick. I believe our characters are interestingly acquainted. I'm Pistachio Influenza Pschettio Vishu Caralanza Stasaziano, Gary's friend. May I please also to be coming into your villa house place? I'll make tea. The Merovingian makes Keanu sit with him, then takes out the brooch that he tricked the motorcyclist into crashing with and slides it over to him. Keanu's all, No! I'm done being an awesome movie character. Mr. Wick, I'm a man who was there for you the night you needed an Italian friend to impress your wife the night we all sighed Poseidon. Who helped you learn to read? Who helped you name your dog? This is a marker. Was I in the first movie? Please, I'm not that guy anymore. I need you to kill my sister. I want a big seat at the big table. Every Thanksgiving, it's an embarrassment to sit with the 10-year-olds and guess which one will spill the milk. This past time, it was Kenny. He's 13. Very fat. I just want to hang out at home and look at wife photographs with the beach background. Il mio italiano è male. You have a very purple fratelli, signorina Wick, but I fear you will now suffer the, what is your word, uh, windmills. If you were smart, you would probably kill me before I go outside now and blow up your house, huh? Keanu docilely follows Pistachio to the door, shows him how to load his grenade launcher, then goes into his bedroom and stares at his wife picture. (laughs) Suddenly, his house that he's in the center of explodes, knocking him ten feet away from the explosion, where fortunately none of the surrounding Italians think to look. His dog walks up to him and enjoys the explosion with him. Keanu's all, good boy. The cop walks up, stares at the explosion, and goes, Working again, John? Keanu knows explaining explosions and dogs to cops is a waste of time, so he loses interest in the ambulance he's sitting in and walks across a bridge to a hotel owned by Ian McShane with Lance Reddick as his concierge. I lean over to the gun sitting beside me and go, I can't believe they both left acting. Reddick's all, Mr. Wick, I work here 24 and 7. I will take care of your dog till the end of the movie. It's a way for both of us not to be relevant. (laughs) Keanu's all, yes. He walks to the museum where Pistachio lives. Vin Diesel sniper Ruby Tuesday is the museum curator. Since she's gay, I mean blind in this, she speaks in Braille. She frisks Keanu, especially his crotch, finds nothing there, then checks his asshole and finds too much. She removes her hand and wipes it off, scowling at him. Using Braille, she's all, not if I see you first. He's all, 
I think that was my comeback. Then he uses Braille to write. Uh, uh. walks over to where Pistachio is staring at a painting of a museum wall and goes, Now that you blew up my house, I'm ready to do whatever you say. Pistachio's all, I want you to kill my sister Tobleronia Extravaganza Gaspaccio Ritardo. She will be attending a light show in Rome soon. Her makeup room has a giant asphalt bath in it. It's not going to matter how faulty your ass is. Ah, uh, John Wick. We have an old saying in Italy. John Wick gets up and goes to a British tailor. He's all, I need trick clothes. The tailor's all, well, Mr. Wick, as you can see, we have this bulletproof shirt you might be interested in. But remember, your head's not bulletproof. Hopefully enemies will consistently forget that. Keanu shrugs, then goes to a police station where the same tailor also works and goes, Yeah, for this same montage, I also need guns. Okay, uh, if you could be a bit more specific as to range, mag size, ballistics. Something will bust, but also high octane that never runs out of bullets. Ah, that'd be the W2-1099. He closes a teakwood gun case on the counter that's already open and reopens it. Something gun shapes inside. Keanu's all, dessert. The guy smirks approvingly and holds up a pair of shoes. There's some establishing shots of the Coliseum and Gregory Peck sticking his hand in a stone monster's mouth and pretending it's biting him while Audrey Hepburn screams at him. Some subtitles are all Europe. In an Italian bathroom, an Italian woman's all... Thank you, Cassian. Please wait outside and ignore all sounds of gunpowder. Her black friends all. I feel confident no one got past me. As he walks past Keanu, pretending to be a statue holding a gun, Cassian yawns. Then he's gone. The woman eventually finds a mirror that Keanu's reflected inside. She's all, ah, John Wick. I guess our characters know each other. It's been a period of time since our characters interacted. So, my brother wants a seat at the table, eh? He gave me this brooch. I had no choice. What if he blows up my house? Uh, wait, I feel like I'm forgetting something. Was <laughs> I in the first movie? Understandably, she sighs at him, slashes her wrists, and stops breathing. Uh, yeah, if you do that, I'm not sure if I still get credit. He shoots the water, then runs off. <laughs> <laughs> Although he had no trouble getting into the place, past all the guards without being seen, Keanu forgets to take the same route back and is promptly spotted by Cassie in the second he comes out of the lady's suicide room onto a dance floor. <laughs> Cassian's all, well, well, working tonight, John? Uh, yes. Actually, wait. Uh, maybe I should lie. To trick Cassian, he shoots all the people but Cassian, then runs around. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the script in advance, so I can just like copy and paste a lot of this. Candy's odds are somewhat helped by the fact that all the guards chasing him are encumbered by giant spotlights they're holding instead of guns, which somehow blinds only them. Beside me, Dingus stands up, pumps his fist, and goes, Lights! <laughs> Man. I don't know why you hate that. Because none of it's true. Ah, oh, truth. It's 2017, brah. 
<laughs> John Wick walks back to McShane's hotel from Italy. In his honeymoon suite, his phone rings. <laughs> the Merovingians all. John Wick, great work. You have proven yourself an unskilled, killable assassin. I mean the reverse. So now I will try to kill you. <laughs> also, I wrote this song about our relationship. Keanu hangs up and goes outside and walks around. While in a 1950s room, some old lady phone operators type out his name on carbon paper. <laughs> Fortunately, although the contract on him is $7 million and we see it going out across the world to dozens of contract killers, the only ones interested in nearby during the same 10 minutes are a fat Korean guy, a German lady, some Siamese twins, a gray alien, and his last victim's black friend, Cassian. John Wick tricks them all by shooting them all in the leg and then face, and also by them forgetting to use cover or shoot from outside kicking range. <laughs> he and Cassian have some fun shooting some columns in a train station instead of each other. <laughs> That's how guys are. Then they enjoy a drink together. But once they get on a crowded train, Keanu tricks him by sticking a knife in his heart and going, Consider that a professional courtesy. <laughs> As the train doors close between them, Cassian looks underwhelmed. Dumbly, John Wick forgets to take his enemy's bullets and or buy any. So now he has to go see his black friend Morpheus, who's left the Matrix to raise pigeons on a roof. <laughs> <laughs> I need your help. I don't know where else to go. Do you think that's air you're breathing? <laughs> he offers Keanu a back rub, but in an I don't really want to way. <laughs> Keanu's winning argument is, Would you rather fight a war or give me a gun? <laughs> He's becoming more Alicia Vikander as this goes on. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is yeah. kind of a, a male Alicia Vikander. <laughs> Opposite of range. <laughs> Morpheus loses interest in the conversation and sells Keanu seven bullets at annoying rates. <laughs> Keanu snips the bullets one by one. Then he's all, What are you trying to tell me? That I can dodge these? I'm trying to tell you that when you're ready, you won't have to. <laughs> he's from New York. The seven bullets wind up being a poor investment on Keanu's part. <laughs> Instant buyer's remorse. <laughs> Caveat emptor. To celebrate, he chases Pistachio through a hall of mirrors. Ruby Tuesday shows up and tries to scowl at him, but he tricks her by sticking a knife into her heart. In Braille, she writes, at least I didn't get sucked into a dumbass fan in this one. He gets out his Braille and writes, not if I see that movie first, since we both said something similar earlier. By this time, Pistachio has lost interest in the chase and is eating some sheep's balls in Ian McShane's hotel cafeteria. Keanu comes in and looks annoyed. Pistachio laughs and goes, Well, John Wick, it looks like I have outsmarted you. Did you know you can eat two meals a day here? John Wick shoots his food off screen. Pistachio loses his appetite. John Wick goes to Lance Reddick's concierge desk and goes, How was, uh, I don't know what species he is. I enjoyed his company. My life at this desk is very empty. Keanu agrees and walks to a park with Ian McShane in it. Keanu's all, The movie's almost over. McShane's all, John, you know the rules about brunch, cocksucker. He nods to P C.G. Peter Cushing, who says, Now! 
all the pedestrians nearby in the park simultaneously lose interest for a couple seconds. <laughs> then Cushing CGs all. Just kidding. They all start pretend to be walking nowhere again. Morpheus walks up and goes, did you see that? Or were you too busy looking at the girl in the red dress? McShane's all, since I control crowds, but like you. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's fucking gibberish. <laughs> Ian McShane, the actor's all, since I control crowds, but I like you, but only a little, for reasons. I'll give you an hour before everyone on Earth starts shooting at you. <laughs> Keanu's all, I wasn't listening. He and his dog walk around while people on park benches lose interest in him and play with their phones. <laughs> then Keanu and the dog run to some marble columns since they both have to pee. Some words tell me who trained Fishburne to let go of pigeons correctly. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Very nice, Kelly Wand. Terrible. Uh, okay, I'll go first. Um my over and under are movies directed by stuntmen. Mm. <clears throat> My over is John Wick. Mm. I didn't feel this lived up to it. I, uh, it was missing three things that I really, really liked in the original. Uh, I, the character motivation in the original was, was fine, and it, it worked. I didn't understand. John Wick was kind of a dick in this. Like I, what are you I didn't talking about? He didn't honor his deal. Like, I never once... We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. What are you talking right? about? What? Didn't yeah, his, his whole character motivation in this was, I don't want to have to pay back my debt. I don't feel like it. I, I never once... Like, I, I, the character motivation in the first movie is great. Uh, you know, who doesn't... The, in, the first, and it also misses, I think, some of the first movie's simplicity. The, the, the first movie's appeal is... Uh, it, it, it's, it's very basic. Here's a cool dude. Here's a cool dog. Here's some cool guns. He's wearing a cool suit. Here's some cool cars. And we're going to do action scenes. We don't have time for chicks. We're just going to do action scenes. Like the first one is very simple. Yeah, and this one, I think, loses track of a lot of that. Uh, And Mm -hmm. one of the things that's simple about the original is his motivation. Uh, The the fact that they're subbing in, in this movie, all this stuff about the politics of the shadowy underworld of assassins, which I couldn't care less about, uh, I think diluted a lot of what was appealing in, in the first movie. Um, and also the pacing. I didn't feel that this was paced very well. Uh, I thought that the director, who started out as Keanu Reeves' stunt double in The Matrix, by the way, I think it's great that he and his – he's working with another stuntman and the guy who did the script. I think it's great they got the first John Wick made. I'm super glad it's successful for him. I'd love to see this continue as a franchise. But there was, a, there was just stuff in the first one that I missed from this one that I wanted to be there. But I will hmm. say – John Wick 2 is better than another movie directed by a stuntman, namely uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Because uh, Hal Needham was, uh, of course, started as a stuntman as well, and he did Smokey and the Bandit, which I don't think holds up at all. I don't get the appeal of Burt Reynolds. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit is terrible. I watched it recently. Uh, oh, doesn't Jerry Reed have a dog in that even? There's dogs. Yeah. In the yeah, Smokey and the Bandit's Fred. Wait, oh, I really? Like that's... Glee- I, I think Gleason stuff really holds up, though. Gleason stuff, yeah, sure. It's like a TV sitcom He's level. He's pretty funny in Junior. Stuff. Yeah, sure, right. I'm yeah. going to go home and put your mama in the mouth. Yeah, that's great. And Three's Company is still funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Hal Needham wow. got worse. That's my point. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair point. Yeah. That was uh, the high water mark. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't like this so much. I mean, there were cool things in it, but I, I was overall pretty disappointed. 
Kelly Wand, you go. What's an over and under, and what's your overall assessment of John Wick Chapter 2? Uh, my over, I went with guys shooting people, and there's a mysterious organization movies. <laughs> um, and my over is Payback? Ah, there's some, yeah, okay. I really like that character, too. Or, but I'm, I have... I have complex feelings towards Payback because I'm a fan of the, the books. And the Brian different. Helgeland version, not the Mel Gibson recut, I presume. I like the elements of both. Like, I like the... Because in the recut, he saturated the colors, and I kind of like the washed yeah. out I just, yeah. lighting. That was, so it's I like I take... Yeah, I think that might have been my over for the original podcast we did for John Wick. Payback might have been over. I'm not sure. Yeah, Maybe. And in, but in the recut is the one where uh, I forget who plays his wife at the beginning, but they uh, get in that Deborah fight. Deborah Cara Unger, yes, yeah. Bridget Moynihan, um, pre Maria Bello, and uh, I would definitely keep that fight in. So I guess right. I would like make a, a a director's cut of both of them. And I prefer I like... the sorry, and I prefer the villain. Uh, Chris Christopherson's fine, but I prefer Sally Kellerman's voice as the villain. Yeah. But the endings are so different, too. I know, yeah, yeah. Um, but, and my under is Wanted, because <laughs> that was McAvoy shooting people, and there was all that shit about the loom and those guys he worked for. Oh, yeah, Wanted, right, right, the uh, Mark Miller stuff, right, that's right. Yeah, which I didn't really like. But I was a, I was a huge fan of John Wick, too. I thought it was great, and okay. I, I thought that, the motivation issue that you're talking about, it was really just an excuse to kind of get like there, there didn't seem to be a lot of filler. I thought that the movie was paced pretty well. Mm -hmm. I wasn't bored very often. And it seemed like those conversations were just enough to get him back to shooting people again. Well, hold and, that thought. Cause I do want to get into this. Cause I really, that's, that was, I had a big problem with this. So, so and I like that the dog lived. <laughs> yeah. Well, the dog, well, of course, if you board your dog with Lance Reddick for 90 minutes, the dog's going to be fine. That's kind of dumb, but I also thought, <laughs> like, well, it's not, they're not going to kill this dog. Yeah. Like, they went to great lengths to not kill the dog. I thought the dog, well, okay. So, so, Dingus, what's your overall assessment, and what's an over and under? A movie better than John Wick Chapter 2, a movie not quite as good. All right, so for over and under, I went with uh, myth-building follow-up movies. So <laughs> um, I think that one of the things that, that I really loved – about the original John Wick, uh, the more I thought about it, um, was just the whole idea of the Continental and all the rules that were involved there. Uh, and I love the way that this movie uh, carries that on. And I don't have any of the problems that I don't think I do. I'm, you know, maybe we'll agree on a couple of things, but I don't have any of the problems you were talking about because I think this movie is more about um, a second movie that builds that. Uh, lay, that, that continues to build on the myth rather than dealing with the same themes that the first movie dealt with. So my over would be Captain America Winter Soldier, which I know you didn't like either, but was also directed by, like I, I think, a couple of TV dudes, so people who don't normally direct movies. Um, and my under would be Split, uh, which is, again, a, a movie that's building on the myth that was started by the first movie, but in a surprising way. Um <laughs> I think this movie is much better than that. Um, I think I might have I, to bleep you. <laughs> what? The whole, I, I'm part? actually just be, I'm being a bit facetious because uh, uh, okay. that's that's kind of a cool reveal in Split that uh, that, it, that where it does fit into an, an, a body of work. 
Right. I mean, I'm just kind of half kidding, but that that's something I like. I wonder how is that common knowledge now? I don't know. I don't know if it is. I've heard a number of people say that they they thought, oh, I knew that going in, Um, but I didn't say what the other name of the movie was. Uh, Well, it's Lady in the Water. Exactly. No, it's the village. Um, it's it, well, it's all, of movies, all of these movies. All of these All of his movies are happening. Uh, but uh, what I love about this movie is the is the way that it takes one of the things that I loved about the first movie. Absolutely loved that whole idea about the continental and the rules that are involved there and that whole infrastructure, and then expands upon it and create and makes me realize it's a whole world. It's not just this one hotel, uh, and and it. Furthermore, I, I think that the character totally fits within what's going on in this world because, you know, I didn't know that you could even make a sequel to that first movie or that you would even need to bother. Um, but I really like what this movie does and how it motivates him um, at, while expanding this world and giving it some place to go. I mean, it feels like that middle movie that expands the world. Okay, then let me throw this at you guys, and I'm just curious. It, it, it obviously didn't bother either of you. Um, why doesn't he just honor his obligation to uh, the Italian guy? Because he's left that world, uh, and he doesn't feel like that's a part of his life anymore. He's left okay. it. Right, he, now, and that's what, the, that's what the movie clearly lays out. Uh, I don't get to do that. Like, if I borrow money from the bank and then decide, you know what, I don't want to be involved in money and finance anymore. I'm leaving that world. And the bank right. comes to me and says, you know, you kind of owe us the money. I'm like, no, I've left that world. The bank, he does, the bank should be able to foreclose on my house, and I should not get revenge on the bank by killing it. Well, I think that I think part of it That's has to happens. do with – I think that part of what has to do with when that happens in his life, when that guy comes to the door, he's saying, please – don't do this. Don't do this now. Go just find somebody else to do this, please. I'm asking you, don't do this right now. I understand right. I understand he didn't want to do it, but I just have no sympathy but, with a guy who doesn't honor his obligations. And 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 I completely have sympathy with a guy who someone is a jerk to him and kills his dog while he's grieving his wife's death. Like that was great in the first movie. He was in an awkward situation. He wanted to leave that world. He was emotionally vulnerable. Uh, he got this sense of hope and then just some thugs ruined it. That's, that's a great premise for a revenge story. I don't understand. Can you honor your obligations? Everything that you are. And the, the first movie even points this out that he, that this night where he made himself when he was given the impossible task by the the villain in the first movie. Uh, He had to turn to this Italian guy to get help for that. You know, that was instrumental in him becoming who he is and and being able to get out of this world because that's what he had to do. He fell in love with a woman and he wanted to leave the world. That's great, and he wanted to stay out of it. And by the way, that woman's dead now. I don't know what his big deal is about being out of the world. But that deal that never loves again. That whole pivotal deal that, that we now learn goes one layer deeper I just thought he was a dick for not honoring his, his obligation. I understand he didn't try to do it. Well, he fell down at that particular moment, but then when his house gets blown up, he goes and does it. He goes in, he goes ahead and does it. I mean, he goes to the museum and he says, "Okay, I'll do it. Fine, you yeah. got me." He, he goes and he gets he gets taken to like like you're right, Tom. He gets okay. called on the carpet by uh, by Winston, 
And Winston tells him the rules. This is what you have to do. You can run. You you can do all of these things, but none of those are within our rule structure. Is it the implication, though, that he's doing it so that he can kill the Italian, though? No, no. The only reason he goes after the Italian is because the Italian then tries to tie up the loose ends and puts out a contract on him. Otherwise, I thought thought he was doing it. I thought he made it yeah. clear to Ian McShane he was doing it because after Ian McShane, well, yeah, I guess not. Nope. And then Cassian he, pulled I thought with Ingus. I mean, you're right. I think he has a moment of weakness where he's been through all this crap. He finally got his car back. He's got well, I, you know, I think the car is kind of a, there's there's kind of a rover thing about the car with with the card in the glove compartment. Um, I, I I think that that he 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 gets all of those these things. He has a moment of weakness basically where he says, "Please don't make me do this. I can't I can't go back in because he." He didn't go back into work. He went into that for personal business. And he says, I just – I can't go back to work. Please don't make me do this. I'm begging you not to. And then when he's given – when he's taken to school by Winston in McShane and said, you have to. These are the choices. You run. You kill him. You're just going to be killed. You're dead in any case. You have to do this. And then he goes and does it. Which so I understand, me, but I think that's me, just way, a moment of weakness, but I yeah. don't think that means he doesn't deserve any and, and that uh, gets any to, of your sympathy. And that gets to my pacing issue, is why did we need him to say no and then have to do it anyway? I don't... Because I don't, mm, you know, the timing... Well, it happens good. really fast. But also, too, Tom, you got to mm-hmm. factor in... There's two things I would say also. A, I think this movie's kind of jokier and funnier. Sure, like it's yeah, sort yeah. of yeah. making fun of the fact that it exists, kind of. Uh-huh. Like, here it is, John Wick 2, bitches. How do we get him back in? Guy knocks on his door the second he finishes cementing the guns. Like, it's all sort of spelled out. Like, remember when you liked the first one? Like, it, I think it's knowing. And also, um, there's that line where the guy asks him, I think you're addicted to the vengeance. And it's like, there's this maybe part of him that wants to go back. Because mm-hmm. at, the, well, at the end, he doesn't need to shoot that guy either, but he does. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to kill them all. Just keep which, again, I didn't me. like that either, by the way. One of the things I love about this conceit of the, the, not the, cosmic, the, the continental uh, is that and, – and cinematically, narratively, I love this. It forces a conversation. I love what mm-hmm. it does to his encounter with Cassian. So mm-hmm. when John Wick at the end is yeah. just like, you know what, screw the rules. And because and I was expecting, there's another great, and I'm also, by the way, mad that Peter Stormari wasn't our villain. I, I, stupid movie. Uh, I, I could not I, disagree more with you. Um, Go ahead. Uh, you like that Italian dude? No, whatever. Uh, mm. Yeah. Because so, another yeah. movie with Peter Stromari and Keanu Reeves ended with a conversation, and that was great. Constantine. Uh, so I, I love this idea that the Continental has these rules so that when he catches up with bland villain Italian dude, he has to have a conversation with him. And nope, he just breaks the rules again. Like he doesn't – John Wick does not honor obligations. John Wick is a jerk. Like he is not no. who I sympathize with for, for uh, how he's breaking the rules, not honoring his obligations. I don't – John, yeah. He does not, though. He doesn't break the rules. He shoots that guy and then is willing to take the consequences of that. Yeah. He's yeah, he's totally with, willing. He, I mean, when uh, when when Charon has taken him over the river to be killed, he understands that's what's happening. Yeah, I think so. Because what happened is when, uh, if you remember, when Miss Perkins did it in the first movie, Ian McShane had no compunction about punishing her appropriately. Uh, for whatever reason, I guess he's yeah he's going to give Canu you know give him an hour head start for the third yeah, movie. That, that is true. 
I think the rules yeah. slightly changed because in the first movie it was no business can be it can be done in in the Continental, and I think every time a, a phone rings with somebody getting a new contract, isn't that business? <laughs> um, but in this you movie, it's no, you could receive business, I guess. I mean that. Well, yeah, I guess so. In this like movie, it's, it's changed off? to no. I, I would imagine. I mean, I would imagine that being part of the rules, like drop your phone off, or it's a it's a, a Faraday cage, um, but. In this movie, it, it's not talked about as business. It's talked about no blood shall be spilt. I mean, so I think you're right. I think that Ian McShane sort of uh, is is making. I, I kind of expected him to call him his son at the end, almost because he 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 fudges the rules. I think at the end there. I think you're right about that. Uh, and also, when his promise to Cassian, I'll make it quick. No, he didn't do that. He did, he left him with the. I guess you're supposed to then no, think he, that Cassian lives. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. How do you live with a knife in your heart or aorta? You go to the emergency well, room and they sew up your heart. Yeah, because he, he, he promised Cassian he would make it quick, and he didn't. Yeah, he but is. if he He's goes to the, the emergency room with a knife in his heart, he can still be patched up. That's if he pulls it out, quick. he's going to die. He promised he would make it quick, and he didn't. He lied. Yeah. John, John Wick lies. He doesn't live up to his obligations, and he breaks the rules. <laughs> He's right. not interested in other ladies. He's still <laughs> devoted to his wife. I do love wife. it. I do have to say, I, I really do enjoy what a what an asexual boy's fantasy these movies are. It's like prepubescent yeah. almost. Like guns are cool and shooting people in the head is cool, and we don't need girls. Like I, I do really like that aspect of it. Uh, this and this one, there was still some of that, not quite as sleekly as in the first movie. But I really do kind of like how, yeah, there's even Miss Perkins. Like Miss Perkins doesn't bother in the first movie trying to be a femme fatale or anything. She just gets in there and right. mixes it up. Yeah, they're professionals. Right, right. Uh, the cops know about him. Everybody knows about him. And I like. I don't know. I, I sort of liked the expansion of the John Wick universe. Like it didn't seem to be intrusive. It was like they only just told you enough to get you to the next thing. Well, I loved how. You know, it really was a shadowy organization in the first movie because they don't elaborate on stuff. Right. So shining a little light on it, I mean, that's cool you guys enjoyed it, but I was a little disappointed that and it's, oh, it's just another cabal. And I, no, and but it's, it's, the end like, this. it's not. It's like I don't, every I don't totally third person is a member of this cabal, too. Like everybody in the he world is. is an assassin. Right. That's the thing. It's like a solipsistic uh, – shoot him up movie because it's like at the end everyone in the world is going to kill him it's right. for the third movie it's a great right. bridge it, it almost becomes like a, this weird zombie movie at the end where yeah. it looks like at any moment all of the just start running after him uh, as long as he and that's that's that whole running thing at the end I really love that yeah it's, it's, I, I think that's I, a great it's one of the, my favorite things about this movie is the is the way that the, the continental is surprisingly expanded Definitely has franchises, yeah. like like the founder. Yeah. Um, what did you think about Claudia Gerini and that whole semi nudity sequence? Because, um, like Chris Markinson was, he thought it was interesting how they dealt with the nudity. Like he he says, if there's an HBO production, her boobs would have been on display for several minutes above the waterline before she died. Well, not just an HBO. I mean, this is this drives me crazy. The, why is the movie assiduously avoiding nudity when it knows it has an R rating? I mean, it's not. I'm not. I you know, not necessarily that I want to see boobs, but it's just so obviously staged so that yeah. 
she's not going to turn yeah. around and we're not going to see her breasts. That, that, that drives me batty. You've got your freaking R rating. This bothered me in the first movie, too, by the way. Uh, Theon Greyjoy's magical towel <laughs> never falls off. <laughs> Did the, guy, the dudes had it flapping loose in Game of Thrones. Let him run around naked in John Wick. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that I'm bothers with, yeah. me is when, when you do this kind of Austin Powers, you we're going to be really coy about showing you any naughty bits uh, right. at the stage. Then why so have that, it? And also this, well, the pacing of that. It's like, it's like a weird scene that I, I, I just thought that went on too long. I didn't understand who she was or why I was supposed to care about her or why she got this monologue. Um, but didn't you like, I mean, this is something that Chris Markinson says as well. Didn't you like the way he held her hand while she was dying and the way that whole thing played out? No, because then immediately, and once again, I'm wondering, John Wick, what is your motivation? Why does he shoot her in the head? Because he, shoots, he has to get the kill. He has to get the kill. I mean, otherwise, Why? and I loved that moment. For for me, it made perfect sense because otherwise, every time he doesn't do that, there's a loose end. When he doesn't right. do it with Ruby Rose, when he doesn't do it with um, with Common. Wait, why would um, there be a loose end? She's dead. The marker is a headshot. You have to shoot them in the head. You have to oh, shoot did them they in say the that head. in the movie? Yeah. No, but that's that. Well, no, you guys that, made that up. That's I the thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's but from, I, that was by. That's from Miller's Crossing, Tom. Have you not seen Miller's Crossing? You have, in you Miller's Crossing, a, they honor their obligations. They follow the rules. And uh, what else do they do? They don't kill dogs. But that guy. Here's the thing. Did he get that marker fairly? Like at the beginning, that motorcycle stuff was that from the first movie, or was that him no, so grabbing I thought a the motor? I was wondering about this too. I didn't understand that. I think the motorcycle was establishing how Keanu Reeves figures out where his Mustang is. Yep. In fact, okay. I was wondering. I was curious about the way that opening was shot. Oh, um, here's because, my guess. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Because the, it seems like there's a movie being projected on a building. As he's driving, yeah. and I, I think motorcycle versus car is always a dumb chase. Yeah, uh, but uh, I just love the sound of that. the The fact that he's he's driving that whatever that SS uh, that I think it's a Chevelle, but I'm not sure. Um, I love that car so much, uh, and I love the sound of it. I love the driving of it, and I just love the way that the sa- I love the sound of this movie and the way things bang into each other. Um, but I I don't understand what that that movie that seemed to be shot on the side of the building before the chase comes into effect. I mean, I think we're just supposed to think that that was something that was going on in the city. And, whoa, look, they're showing they're broadcasting a car chase on the side of a building. And now here's a real one happening. Uh, At least that was what I got. Like, I don't think it was every motorcycle versus car chase. If the hero's the one in the car, it's always the they always end the exact same way because you can't show like Dingus is saying, like you can't really show spatial relationships correctly or it'll be over in two seconds so like the hero will like look up like oh they're going that way down an alley and then the motorcyclist is cocky and then the car will always like cut them off because they know the geography of the city better and then the motorcycle will crash into it it's like oh, i would invite you to check out fury road and the motorcyclists in that <laughs> good lord <laughs> don't they cut them off in an alley no they're ramping over the motorcycle no, ramping over the battle truck and dropping grenades on it they have the right idea and they're the bad different. guys. Yeah. Hmm. Fury Road, though, it's, it's no fair to compare to bring up Fury Road. I apologize to John Wick, too. Yeah, you're setting the bar too high. I know, right, right. right. I mean, compared to Resident Evil, where Oh, well, good lord. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. that's not even fair either. Yeah. All right. 
But that's what I'm saying. Like, a lot of these movies aren't that great. And so as for what it is, John Wick 2, well, I we, thought yeah, was, yeah, a, agree. was a by the way, we entry. To, yeah, we saw it with a good friend of ours who has pretty high standards and who did, didn't like this or the original. Of course he doesn't because he doesn't watch a lot, of, a lot of crappy action movies. But, yeah, this <laughs> yeah. is far and away. I mean, it's better than Triple X, the, the Sander Berkeley yeah. age movie. He's a more interesting character than Triple X. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want to – yeah, I just – this is no John Wick 1, to my mind, but it's also, yeah, miles in a way better than most crappy action movies, so don't get me wrong. You just think it's a, it's a disappointment compared to the first John Wick. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. And me and Dingus were like, please keep making John Wick. Dingus, we we lived, we just, I got two, there were two oh, uh, Dingus relations. The first one was with Serafanowitz, Serafanowitz, whatever. Peter Serafanowitz. That's what I said. When he shows up, uh, Dingus, I wrote down what Dingus said because it was a, it was a. Oh yeah, he goes, yeah. <laughs> that was like Dingus's reaction That's to Peter Serafanowicz. Dingus then, denies uh, saying things. A legitimate, nice. When John Wick, I don't remember what he does—a non-fake physical gesture where I don't know if he was like checking the safety on the gun or something, but he flips the gun over and he's got his pinky up and he's checking something. And I, don't, I think it was, it was a cool move, granted, but Dingus definitely goes, nice! And me and my friend, who had never believed, I don't think for sure that Dingus does this, started laughing. And so Dingus then goes, shut up. And then we kept laughing even more, and then he's like, fuck you guys. And then uh, he went to the theater. Why is he embarrassed by it? We right. like it. <laughs> there's nothing to be ashamed of, Dingus. If something's oh, yeah, nice. yeah, there's plenty to be because ashamed Tony of. Afterwards, said something. We were we were talking about your your nice moment, and Tony also thought it was funny the way because I'm used to this. The way you react, like all the headshots, like Dingus will definitely do all these. Ooh, ah, like oh, that would hurt. And he makes the same noise that Common and Keanu Reeves made when they're rolling down those stone steps. Dingus makes yeah. the noises when people get shot in the head. And so Dingus Tony said to me, has Dingus never seen movies before? I can't help it. They're just things that – there's noises that come out but when somebody gets shot in the head at the point-blank range sometimes. I mean, it's, yeah. it, this movie just has such blood force trauma to it that some, sometimes when certain things happen, when like an arm gets cracked backwards over right. somebody's sure. shoulder. You fall I mean, for that it's just, time. You're, you're, you're a cheap wince. Yeah, I'm a cheap wince. <laughs> you're a cheap laugh. I'm a cheap wince. Well, you're a cheap but, laugh, too. We're both that. Yeah, but, yeah uh, that's true. But that oh. moment you're talking about is, I mean, he's doing so much reloading. He does. I, I love the way Keanu Reeves moves in these movies. He's got such a weird walk. He's got such a weird sort of stutter step. I mean, he's, he's, he's got this staccato way of doing these fight, these fight sequences when he's like moving down hallways because that his, his rhythm is perfect for throwing off people who are used to like a smooth gunman moving down a hallway because he moves like in this weird stutter step. When he's checking yeah. all the guns, he, he cocks them to the side real quick. He learned something from some gunman. Maybe it's from, you know, uh, Chad's to Hell's Gear. I don't know. Somebody who, like, like turns guns to the side to check, like, how's this going to look when I'm trying to reload it? And in that particular moment, he... He checks to see if there's a if there's a, a a bullet in the chamber with one hand. I don't, I don't think so because the chamber would be on. Wouldn't it be on the left side of the? No, he, gun? he pulls the slide back with one hand. It's really. Oh, oh you're talking really about a different. Cool. Thing. I thought that you meant the moment when you go nice. Yeah. Because I wasn't sure what he was doing at that moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. He's using. He's that's the moment I'm talking about. He he, oh. he slide. He pulls the slide back with one hand. He does it with one hand. But what is he looking at on the left side of the gun? <laughs> I mean, on the right side of the gun. 
he's looking down the barrel of the gun. He's he's checking the he's checking the barrel. I mean, he's doing this really cool little move. It's it's really cool little detail. And, it, and it's just, I still don't know what it was. I, uh, Tom, it's hard to do that one-handed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is right. I mean, nice. his, physicality, his physicality is just a joy to watch. And Shooting it's especially, easy. And that's been true. I couldn't help it. I, I didn't mean to ejaculate nice, and I'm no, not no, saying that I did. Nobody minds. Uh, no, I'm always you, curious which, is the, which are the nice moments, like Dingus's. Like, this one's interesting to me because it's like, it's a very, it, it's something to do with gun checking. It's like not, I am it wasn't planned. It just happened. It just well, happened. Thing, I, I think. Happen. I think that, uh, that like the John Wick universe does this idea of gun kata that they played with. Mm-hmm. And uh, was it Len Weissman who did Equilibrium? Forget oh boy, did. I don't remember. Oh no, no, uh, Kurt, Kurt Vimmel. No, no, you're right. It's Kurt Vimmer. Yeah, Vimmer. Uh, so they, this, I think that uh, uh, these guys with the John Wick movies have just run away with this idea of gun kata, and I love that. I love the way that the guns are used, like as punches and the, the close headshots. Yeah. And I love how – I think the first one might have been a little bit more lurid with the blood, but I, I love how they'll show close-ups of headshots and a little blood spatter and stuff. And it's very, yeah. I think, video game-informed, and, it, and it, yeah. it's very gratifying to watch. Um, yeah. Even with, with leaving the guns, where he leaves the guns in certain places that, that then he has to go back and get. Yeah, that I'm not so much on board with. Well, that's very. I mean, that's like you're going to have to go through here. Then you've left this here. Then you get this. Then you get right. that. It's not a single moment in there that he wasn't hampered. That he shouldn't have been using a pistol instead. And here's the deal. Here's right. the deal, guys. And I have to apologize for this. When I get bored of a movie and start watching news crawls, I was doing a little bit of that here, because in that catacomb scene, I was thinking, dude, there is not a single moment in this scene where you needed to have the assault rifle and the shotgun. And furthermore. They were both liabilities, especially the shotgun, because right. it's close range. If he had just stuck right. with a pistol, that, that he would have been fine. But we have to have contrivances. It's sort of a contrived peril situation where, whoops, he's got the shotgun, but then the guy ambushes him, and now they're fighting over the shotgun, and he goes back to the pistol. It looks great, but I'm a little bit checked out, so I'm noticing stuff like that. And I also noticed, why would John Wick ever dry fire? The guy knows how many rounds are in a gun. When he dry fires, it is a silly contrivance. It is a contrivance. And I won't say silly because I do like the payoff. It's a contrivance so that we can have a little bit of a, an unloaded gun peril or, better, a really cool action reload sequence like in the first movie where he dry yeah. fired a pistol. Uh, but when I'm checked out, I'm like, no, John Wick knows how many rounds are in the, in the, in the magazine. He's not going to dry fire. So there, that's I really- how duty I am. Well, I think that has a payoff for later on, actually. Uh, uh, Are you talking about the seven bullets? Yeah. That was great, because they're so useless, and and the look on his face is so irritated, like, (laughs) I love it when action heroes get annoyed, like Indiana Jones and... Tom you Cruise. Talk about Mission Tom Impossible. Cruise. Yeah, you talk about yeah. Tom Cruise. How, how he's, your favorite thing is when he's annoyed. Yeah, well, there was some of that. About... We finally shot the guy, and I loved by the way the early uh, fight scene, the, the taxi tussle or whatever you want to call that. Um, when he finally pulls out a gun and shoots the big Russian in both legs, like that was another. Like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. With this. That's enough playing mm-hmm. around, boys. I got stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, that's his Raiders moment. But I think that the early stuff, the the gun selection, the suit selection, all of that stuff is basically what I would call John Wick porn. It, it's really that 
uh, we're gonna we're selecting guns. We're going to fetishize them. We're going to select a suit. It's a lot of that James Bond stuff, but taken to a next level. And then I think the stuff you're talking about, Tom, where why why would he have an assault rifle? Why would he have the shotgun? Those don't make sense. And the shotgun didn't make any sense to me either. Um, I think it pays off in that museum sequence where he's he only has seven bullets and then he has to constantly crawl over everybody's body and pick up their guns. And he never bothers to pick up the assault rifles. He's just picking up their guns, reloading, reloading, reloading and or, you know, punching or stabbing. And I think that's the I think that's the payoff of having used the assault rifle and the shotgun. And he's just going to have to make do with a pistol because normal people think of pistols as being less useful than uh, an assault rifle or a shotgun. Well, they do play. I mean, in the first movie, when he when he progresses through assault rifle and shotgun, they're for tactical reasons. Like he's got a battle out on the street. Like the first movie, I think, is much more careful about when and why different weapons are, are introduced. The first movie is. Uh, much more meticulous with its gun porn, I would say. Mm, okay. Uh, and this is more just sort of sloppy gun Wing porn, which is okay. I mean, good gun porn is good gun porn. Uh, well, yeah. he has to do a lot of it in Italy, so he can't really bring his favorite gun. Kelly Wand, how do you feel about all the CG in this movie? The Peter Cushing? What? Uh, no, there's a lot of – do you not know? There's a lot of C- – I seriously doubt, and I just found myself thinking about this – I seriously doubt there is ever a single gunshot on the set, that all the gunshots, of course, all the blood, all of that is CG, that when they are doing these little dances, it's completely silent. Of course, nobody's like firing blanks that close to each other's heads, but I'm guessing all of that is post-processing, and that if you were to watch this being shot, you know, they just hold the gun and somebody jerks their head back. Like, there's no bang, bang, bang whatsoever on the set. I'm guessing that that's all CG. Um, I mean, it's usually dark too, so I can't tell if it's CG or not. And it's the right, they, 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 it's kind of like a David Copperfield magic show because they're always like trying to show you nowhere not to look. Like he's shooting, <laughs> he's shooting guys with lights, and they're in. You can't really see but what they look like before he shoots them. I would, I would have really been uh, dismayed at the poorly lit action scenes if we didn't eventually get very well lit action scenes. And the first movie is yeah. kind of like that as well. I mean, that first movie in his house when it's dark, you're like, and even though you can actually still, I think that house scene is 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 a lot less confusing than say the catacomb stuff. Yeah, um, well, because his house has all glass on the outside, so you, it's really well lit. I mean, it's well lit, not in a bright way, but backlit, so you can definitely see who's doing what. Right, right. Um, but now it's gone. But I, the see, I, I'm kind of being facetious because I think it's a great example of how CG can make movies better. Like I don't yeah. like CG with uh, with with a lot of. I think CG still doesn't work really well with like a lot of car chase stuff. But CG. Oh yeah, I is, remember you talking about that with Wanted since Kelly right. Wan brought that up first, and and when I came home after seeing that, and I really, I was like, I really like Wanted, and you're like, yeah, well, car chases that are CG don't make any difference to me. And and that's one of the great things about Fury Road. You know, Fury Road had a lot of CG and the color correction, but George Miller did. Uh, he wanted a lot of practical work with the cars, and they did it. Um, and I and think you can tell the difference. 
You can tell the difference. I think it's a, it's a great example of CG to the, to the incredible benefit of a movie in, in Fury Road. And I feel that way about a lot of stuff like John Wick. You know, the fact that they're able to do these one-shot, continuous, choreographed moves with guns going off in stuntmen's faces. You can't do that with an actual blank. Uh, so the fact that CG lets us – and I don't think most people realize this, by the way. I think the yeah, average person yeah. watching John Wick thinks, yeah, they're, they're just shooting blanks at each other. But it just yeah. occurred to me I, – I imagine the set is completely silent, and it's just stuntmen knowing very well when to jerk their head back as if they got shot – in the head, and Keanu Reeves knowing enough not to make noises as he's Pew-pew. shooting the gun. Yeah. Well, that's but you're I mean, also I, not. I mean, I thought about. I, yeah, well, I think about that exact thing, Tom. Whenever I think about these close-range blank shots, uh-huh. because of because of something that uh, a couple things that happened when we were younger. Uh, I think John Eric Hexum is the one maybe who put a blank to his head uh, while on set, and and. Mm-hmm accidentally killed himself because blanks actually shoot something and maybe that even happened to Brendan Lee and the crow um where the the actor like shot the blank directly at him instead of where he was supposed to shoot it or it was wrongly loaded but you can't shoot something that that close to somebody's head because a blank still discharges mm-hmm. yep yeah and, so and, every t- every time that happens i think i was thinking about that and so i guess it, t- it makes total sense that it's cg i just didn't think about it that way but you're right that it, I think it enhances it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, let's see. How about uh, – let me ask something real quick. Yes. Uh, this is something I was thinking when I was watching it, but then I forgot to bring it up later, and Chris Markinson again, brings it up, and he's right. So Ruby Rose's character was deaf but not – was mute but not deaf, right? I wondered about that, and I I was kind uh, of assuming she was deaf as well, and I never really saw an indication one way or the other. Well, uh, well, well, he doesn't talk to her. Uh, he uses sign language back to her, but he he also uses Italian and speaks in Russian. So he's obviously versed in different languages, but he doesn't need to speak to her in that way. Um, but it, it's it, what Chris is saying is that it doesn't seem wise to have your chief bodyguard being deaf. Right. Right. But this yeah. is the universe, presumably, where you've got Zatoichis and stuff, where when you're blind or yeah. deaf, you've got all your other enhanced senses. Or, but yeah, I'm with Chris Markets, and that's the sort of thing, like, if I was completely checked out, I would have been bothered by that as well. But I wasn't checked out enough to not really dig Ruby Rose. <laughs> but the implication is that she's, yeah, is, okay, if she's deaf and she's still that high up, she must be really, really good. Imagine like, when she even wasn't deaf. Yeah. Right. That's true. Or had one hand. Dingus, I completely <laughs> forgot, by the way, that I told him that Ruby Rose was in uh, – because we saw her in the Triple uh, X movie, uh, and I pointed out then she was in uh, Resident Evil and the John Wick movie. Mm-hmm. I noticed Dingus completely forgot because he went – he had a minor conniption when, when Ruby Rose showed up, which was really cute. That's uh, not a conniption. Super- I don't conipped. Yeah, you connected. And I actually knew that was her through the door. Like, I remembered she was in it. I was looking for it. So when Italian dude walks into Keanu Reeves' house, you could see her out by the cars. I was like, oh, sweet, yeah. let her in. No, no, let her in. Don't talk. To- oh, shoot. She has to wait outside. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, she is awesome. I, I, you know, All her characters are kind of different, too. They're different, but, and she's just really charismatic. And, and again, just the physicality she's got. Uh, put her and Gina Carano in a movie. Actually, you know what? Forget Gina Carano. Put her in more movies. Uh, Ruby Rose is awesome. She's in uh, – they're finally getting this dopey 
movie about a megalodon off off the ground, apparently. Uh, and she's the female lead in an adaptation of a novel called Meg, which I'm uh, looking forward to. Is that her name too? Meg <laughs> is the megalodon, Kelly Wand. Yeah. I would I would assume uh, you would have read Meg because it opens with a T Rex fighting a megalodon. Oh. Yeah. yeah, prose battles between dinosaurs always is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, Tom, Arthur Jovangeli seems to agree with you on this movie. Um, he didn't hate it, but he was disappointed with how little it advanced the character. And, and this I, is one thing I like that he wrote. He said, the, the first one was driven by emotion, particularly wrath, where this seemed to be more mundane, more like a guy mowing his lawn. <laughs> Whoa, nice, yeah. Arthur. That's, yeah, Arthur Ginvalala Jelly, definitely. Yeah, I wish I'd thought I'd put it that way. Nice. Uh, so he said he, he said he wouldn't say that it was a failure, but he missed the rage that fueled the original story. Cause and I think, that, I think that's a good way to bookmark it, the wrath and rage. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah he's not mad at this. He get, doesn't, he gets, I guess he gets mad at the end when he's... Doesn't he he's do like, hey, of, they burned yeah. down my house, but I think he's he's more... Back, annoyed. I think he's clicking back. Well, I don't think he's annoyed, but I think he's clicking back into the business. So he's in a different mode. Yeah, because one of the things that, that we were talking about that, that Tom and and this this friend of ours that we went to see with uh, were talking about was um, how you and I, you and I, Kelly, apparently in the first the first time we saw it, we didn't. Uh, when we did the podcast for it, we didn't see any reason for there to be a sequel. And Tom totally agreed with that. He's like, well, yeah, it's, this is a revenge story. What's he going to do? Take revenge again? Um, and it, that doesn't seem to be, you know, they, they kind of do this little, well, they burned down my house thing, but that doesn't really matter. Well, to but be even fair, then not, you know. to be fair to, uh, what, Dingus, what's the name of the guy that wrote the script? Derek Jacotti? No, his name is Derek Kolstad. Kolstad, I want to get to Connie. Uh, Derek Kolstad, uh, I, I clearly see what he was doing with this, even though it didn't work for me. And he obviously, I think, was hip to that. This idea that Harry, John Wick doesn't need a sequel. Right. What are you going to do with it? Because, by the way, I, I imagine, too, it occurred to me watching, rewatching John Wick, it's the opposite of an origin story, which is one of the things that's really cool about <laughs> yeah. it. The character's established, the world is established, there's no exposition, we're just given glimpses of the world. We know a lot about the character by how other people who knew about the character previously react. Um, yeah, their line readings. Yeah, and I don't know what the opposite of an origin story would be, but that's clearly what that was. And so I think. Demise uh, story. I think the writer. Well, he doesn't demise. Um, True. It's a long story. Conclusion story. Or, but demise. I think clearly where this script meant to go, understanding that you know you can't just you know you had a revenge story. It's like you know you don't. There, there's what, what are you going to do in a sequel? I think what he wanted to do here, and even though it didn't work for me, you guys enjoyed this, is explore more this world of this shadowy organization, and have John Wick take you on a tour through more detail of this world that we didn't get as an origin story in the previous movie, but that was alluded to. And whereas I was happy to just have it alluded to, uh, he just wanted to, you know, have John Wick take you on a little tour through more of it, show you a little bit more of this world. So I think to his credit, he didn't just do another revenge story. Um, right. For me, after seeing the original movie as I processed it and after, after we did the podcast, I actually, and I might have even posted about this, was interested in seeing a continental TV series more than I would be in seeing a mm. single. 
Uh, like the James Brolin one? What? Hotel? Like uh, no, the the Continental as as a construct. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. so interested in the way that uh, – in the rules of it. And the rules of it, I mean, I, that's one of the things I love about this, that, that – they 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 pay they pay service they pay lip service to that they talk about these are the rules these are the rules and and there there's no way around those rules and i and i think that that could work because of the because of the size of the world and the way you could expand it i think that would work into a really cool hbo television series yeah i know the director has basically said the same as well i mean they of course oh, he, he has it to be a tv series but uh yeah that's definitely but just as something. the continental yeah Oh, no, I don't think – I mean, I don't know what they would do, but I know he's definitely in interviews talked about, yeah, we were exploring a John Wick TV series. Which no, no, I don't want a John Wick TV series. series. I, I want a Continental TV series. Oh, you better call him because I think he's on the wrong track. Thing. He's, he's, I think he is because I think that that, um, that that dude, Lance Reddick, is so compelling. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I mean I love every single word he says. He does not waste a syllable. Yeah. He's so good and he's so great in talking about that dog. And in, you know, I fully expected that John Wick was going to drop the dog back off with him and say, look, you, you keep, you keep the dog. He's a good boy. And then he was going to run off and, and at least let the dog have a good home with Lance Reddick. Oh my Reddick. God, that's one more reason I would hate him. He abandons dogs. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. He, he, you're he right though, Dingus. He could be like the Clark Gregg to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, exactly. to a Continental yeah. series. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I could totally see that. Um, and I loved that bartender that was in the first one. Uh, I loved all of those characters. And I think Ian McShane's Winston is a really cool, interesting character. And I think, actually, uh, he becomes a little more interesting because of what happens at the end of this movie. Which, they, actually, now, go ahead. Do they he's establish God. in the first movie that he's the manager? Because I know that he's only in two scenes. He's in the scene where he's, I think he's even wearing lipstick, and he's sipping a martini where John Wick goes to talk to him. But then later it turns out he's the guy who punishes Ms. Perkins for breaking the rules. Did they establish in the first movie that he was the manager? Well, they, what, what John Wick says is, is it the same owner when he, goes into the, when he first goes into the Continental, when he hobbles in after the place is at a refit, it's five years plus change or whatever, and he says, is it the same owner? And so I think they kind of uh, – transmogrified that over into the manager since um the continental has uh now a world presence and i don't oh, so i know i think that's a little bit of a retcon but in the oh, okay because uh, in the first movie so ian mcshane was we're not supposed to think he's in charge we're supposed to think he's just a guy having a drink who's got no, his fingers in no. enough pies and knows his way around right no he's in charge he's he's oh. the owner i think oh, okay. he's he's supposed to be the owner but i think now that you know we understand that there's one in Rome and presumably one in Tokyo or wherever, uh, that there's a bunch of different managers. Right, right. I knew that. Okay. But uh, yeah, I just didn't know if Ian McShane had been promoted or something. Cause I know when he goes oh, to see I, him, I didn't know he was the manager. It, maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. And I thought it was kind of a reveal when Miss Perkins gets punished by him. Oh, uh, right. But I guess, yeah, I guess if that was to be expected. So, Dingus, you didn't want more Peter Stormari in the rest of the movie? Um, I, I wanted it at the beginning, but I love that it doesn't play out. I think it's very, very clever casting. Because at first I was like, you know, uh, the fact that they've made peace 
in this in this early scene and and it's and I love the way that first scene sets up the the humor. I think it's I think it's really smart and clever the way they set it up. The whole pencil thing, the way it's repeated, the way the the henchman is like, "Yes, yes, I've heard the story." And he's in and then Peter Stormari says basically the same words that Vigo says in the first movie. Uh and those two characters, those two actors can handle the humor and I think that that sort of gently is a, is a gentle handoff so that Keanu can then ha- handle some of the humor later on. Um, but the fact that he gives him, he, he says, okay, now we're going to have peace and he doesn't shoot him in the head. It leaves open this idea of, well, this guy could come back and be a problem, but then we go off into the Italian world. And because it's Peter Stormari and not some random dude, you think, well, they certainly couldn't have been choosing Peter Stormari just for that one scene. He's going to come back, and it's going to be a conflagration, but that never happens. And I love that. I love that that's – I don't know if you – is it a is it red herring or lampshading? I can't remember what it's called. Um, but I it's love not that. appreciating what an awesome actor you had in the first scene and then, and then telling him to go home. Well, I think it's the opposite. <laughs> I think it's appreciating what an awesome actor it is. Because he's, ex- we're expected to see him coming up later, and then it's just this this specter that's hanging over the movie for those of us who know, and it never happens. And well, I never thought he was coming back. It's pretty clear that that they had they had told him to go. Like it's pretty it clear up. he wasn't going to be in any more of the movie after the with the well, Italian not guy. Not to me, up. because that's why John Wick shoots everybody in the head because he's always concerned with anybody else getting up and following so you. You really out. thought Peter Stormari was going to come back later in the movie? I thought that was certainly a possibility for any moment in this movie because he's an important actor and he's a big name. And that's why I, that's why I think it's really clever casting, and that's why I like it. I, well, like no, it I think it's great casting, but up. I just wanted more of it. I just think that, uh, that Peter Stamari was way more compelling of a villain than anyone else in the movie, certainly than the Italian guy like that. Well, I, 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 you know, I think that Peter Stamari was doing, you know, over the top, like eye rolling stuff that was funny for that scene. I didn't want it for the rest of the movie. I mean, he was doing Commedia dell'arte. I mean, he was doing this, like looking back and forth and, case, oh my gosh. In that case, he uh, definitely should have been in the rest of the movie when they go to Italy. I did. I, well, well, fair enough. But I, I think that I would, I think that he was good in that small dose. Oh, well, I mean, I think I think that uh, other other folks definitely agree with you. I think that maybe Arthur Jeb and Jelly agreed with you. Um, Did you? Like he, the Italian guy. What'd you say? Uh, yeah, I was going to say the Italian guy. Go ahead, go ahead, Kelly. Wand. Well, he's like uh, how Adam Driver was in Force Awakens. Like he's kind of a douchebag character, as opposed to like Vader. He's like kind of a. Uh, like he's a weasel because he's trying to like always weasel out of uh, killing his sister for himself. Like he's going to use John Wick for it, right? And then he just hires people to like. I don't get. I don't get the sense that he's. It, it's one of those movies where it's like the James Bond villain, super villain. Like he's always the last guy to get killed because he's never fighting. He's always like hiding behind. Well, skirts of his underlings. It's again an issue where I think the first movie kind of spoiled me. In the first movie, you get the weaselly guy and you get the uber slick, That's cool, true. bad villain. I mean, Michael Nerdquist, I forget what that guy's name is, uh, but he's really cool as the equivalent of a Peter Stormari. And then but, I forget the Theon Greyjoy actor's name. I feel bad. What's his name, Kelly Wand? Uh, Theon? 
But in this, uh, <laughs> but this, the, but this was like the Weasley character in the first movie. So you got both of them, and you could have John Wick because when John Wick kills the Italian, it's while the Italian is mid-speech, and that's how Theon Greyjoy is dispatched in the first movie. He's in the middle of saying it was just a fucking dog. John Wick doesn't even let him finish his his sentence, yeah, and, he, yeah. and he just summarily shoots him and walks away. And he, so we have the Weasley bad guy, and we have the cool bad guy. Here, I've just felt like we got the sort of the oily Weasley bad guy. No, but we have, the cool bad guys are Ruby common. Rose and Cassian. Yeah, Common. I do like Common a lot. Uh, did you guys? So once again, <laughs> I, I'm assuming you guys have not seen Run All Night, right? Right. Oh, I've, I've seen Suicide Squad. Billy Crystal but... Gregory Hines one. No, that's mm-hmm. Running Scared, the non Paul oh. Walker one. Uh, that's that's uh, that's um, Juan Colette Serra. Um, that's his best movie other than Orphan. Uh, and it's a Liam Neeson action vehicle. But Common is, plays basically the same kind of character. And they have an awesome fight scene with Common and Liam Neeson. Um, so. Oh, Common's Cassian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a... Yeah. a, a, a the actor's name is Common. I, yeah. Just, by the way, I love that, I love that character name. I mean, Cassian it, or Common? Cassian. Common's not a kid. Well, yeah, it's yeah, your name for him. Um, <laughs> because he was, you know, he was in Suicide Squad, right? Cassian was in Suicide Squad? Oh, 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 Common, Common was. was. he again? He was the lizard dude. Oh, he, was? he was, like, put makeup on him. Okay. Yeah, you could yeah. barely tell who was right. he. Um, I, I love the name Cassian, even though I think uh, it's also the name of um, that dude in Rogue One. Uh, is also the character. I think the character in, in Rogue uh, One yeah. is named Cassian too. But but for some reason in this movie it feels more Shakespearean, and in that movie it feels more <laughs> George Lucasian. I mean, yeah. uh, Cassian and, to me, uh, it's so, well, Cassian just it, it gives me a Shakespearean feel. Plus the fact that a brother is trying to murder his sister and using somebody to murder her. I mean, it has a. To me, it, it, I, I know that elevates it beyond what I should. But what does Cassian do for you? Carrie Elways has a brother named Cassian Elways who who produces a lot of movies, many of which are bad. And I've actually met him because he produced a movie a long time ago called Frank and Jesse. Uh, And he was hanging around the set a lot. And I remember him once saying, yeah, we think we're going to get this into Sundance. (laughs) Or something. Uh, And at the time, I remember thinking, "Uh, this movie is not going to be very good. I don't know what you (laughs) <laughs> uh, so that's the only that's the first Cassian I have ever known. So I couldn't help but think of that. That was kind of well, right. spoiled for me. Mm. Um, but to his credit, he has done some really good movies as well. Uh, so Trump um, was my first Donald, so I know what it's like. Kind of, I can't watch Donald Duck. Who was your first Donald? Donald Trump. Wow, that's really sad. That movie's ruined for you, Donald yeah. Duck. Uh huh. Uh, what other Donald? Hey, yeah. Donald Van Dyke. Don't know who that is. Yes, Donald Angus. Lug. Donald Lug. Donald um, Lug. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, the 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 background espresso machine. Um, I love that. That when you watch the first movie, you can see that espresso right. machine yes, behind there. Yes. <laughs> and when the Italian comes over, he doesn't use the drip coffee part of it. He uses right. the espresso. Right. Yeah. I like that but, and I'm true to life. Yeah. I bring that up because I really love, I love the, I love those little production elements of this movie that we haven't really talked about. I love that. I mean, those, they're, they're these weird, big, heavy wooden boxes that they use for so many things when they could just use like a, a paper bank box for most of this crap. But there's there. And, and the way the clank of the, of the 
coins or even the marker, the, the sound of those things, those production design elements, but just that little espresso machine that was there to make a cafe for the Italian dude was there in the first movie. I'm assuming it was the same house too. Like I, oh, yeah, 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 shot in the same yeah. place. Yeah, I was actually. Uh, I love that the first movie shot in New York and was clearly shot in New York. Like I always yeah. appreciate that because it's not, you know, it's, it's, the, the the more common thing to do is go to Vancouver, or Montreal, or something. Uh, this movie did that. That's a little bit. I mean, I guess they went to they, you know they went to Italy. I forgot where else it was probably shot in Australia as well. But then otherwise it was Montreal. Hmm. So, way to go, John Wick two. Save some money. Kelly Wand, uh, I don't know about you, amongst the meaningful lessons that I learned from this movie, uh, the word peace in Russian is mir, like the space station. I'm not sure I knew that. Huh. Did you learn any useful lessons? Uh, I think a deaf girlfriend would be perfect for me. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, You mean instead of a mute one? Yeah. I've been better for her. Uh, can we start a Ruby Rose fan club? Yeah. Well, she's in every movie we see, so if we just keep doing the podcast, we're probably already, like, the founding movie. Exactly, right. Yeah. Let's keep that. Uh, has it been? It's not been three movies in a row. Is she in Rings? Oh, I saw Rings. No, she's not, unfortunately. How was Rings, Tom? I don't know if we talked about this on podcast or off podcast, but this idea that what if Samara gets into an airplane? How cool would that be, right? Because <laughs> you see that in the trailer. World uh, War Z, cool. The, yeah, well, <laughs> the, the Samara virus, it's, the video plays for everyone on the plane, so what's going to happen? Uh, that's the opening scene in the stupid movie, and it cuts off right as it gets interesting and then you get a title card what? that says yep and there's a title card that says six years later and uh, it cuts to some some dopey college girl finding the videotape that belonged to someone who died in a plane crash six years ago that's what you find out yeah she was really great as uh, Nick Offerman's brother in The Founder why are you saying that about John Carroll Lynch and Ruby Rose? Because you wanted to know if she was in the last three movies we saw. Oh, okay, right, right. She was not. <laughs> That's who that. she was. That's also how little impact <laughs> The Founder had on me. I've long since forgotten that movie. It's funny, right. I remember Resident Evil better than I remember The Founder. <laughs> <laughs> Crack. That's John Lee Hancock movies for you. Uh, so, yeah, Kelly Wan, The Rings is terrible. I could not believe how terrible it was. Why is it called rings? Are there more than one ring? Yes, there are. So, actually, this is a kind of a cool idea in the script that I, eh, I guess, yeah, I'll spoil. I mean, it's, you're not going to see it. It's terrible. There's no reason to see this movie. It's called rings. The idea is that they're exploring is that there's a college professor who's heard about this, and he is hiring students for experiments where he shows Boring. Them- no, hold on. He's showing them the tape, and then he has this like secret lab where he's monitoring everybody's progression through that week, and then making sure that they show someone else. Like he's got a pyramid scheme of his it's students like on whom three. he's he's doing experiments on them using the ring video, uh, and it goes yeah. horribly wrong. And and of course, oh, uh, that's kind of interesting. Though. Yeah, but it, it, instead you just get. Is it PG? Yeah, very PG thirteen. Week. Yeah. Are the masks good? Because remember in the second ring they fucked up the mask. They looked cool. Like the, the the you mean the, the Samara face? Oh oh the the death 
mask. Yeah, the death thing. I only recall one, and it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, they're, they're gruesome. That whole horrifying death grimace. Uh, yeah. So there's one. Mm. So if you want to see a horrifying death grimace, if you want to see a control room where uh, various people's ring video progress is being monitored, and if you want a, a, a sort of a coitus interruptus with a cool plane crash scene, uh, Rings provides Usually. those three things. Yeah. Is Watts not in it? Is she referenced? Is that no? No, good? they just kind of no. It's that's the thing about Rings. You just you've got the mythology. You don't need to really reference the other characters. Although maybe they do. They do this whole thing about Samara's background, which I thought we already knew all of that. Uh, yeah, I thought they were going to do a Ring versus Grudge. Right. I know. That'd be interesting. It sounds weird. I don't know. Dingus, what's your favorite Ring movie? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would probably be The Two Towers. Uh, See, that, Kelly Wan, that's called yes-anding. That's yeah. what me and Dingus as professional actors know how to do. See? <laughs> Let me write it down. Uh, well, by, by the way, thanks for ruining one of my 3 by 3 picks, Dingus. Oh, sorry about that. Actually, no, it's not Two Towers. Never mind. You're, you're, you're in the clear. Kelly Wan, what is this week's 3x3 three three that Dingus almost ruined my number three pick? Oh, God. I don't know what I was thinking. Really? Yeah. I didn't enjoy it. Okay. I think it's a disaster. I think the <laughs> listener turnout backs me up. I was really mad at you. I, sh- I should have actually said that last week. You were mad at him, Dingus? Yeah. Why? Because I've been, I've been cooking up a, uh, a topic that's basement and um, cellars. And I think this kind of nullifies that. That would have been better. Kelly, define Actually, so Kelly, one tell I us. Sh- what I should have made him define it. That's the yeah, problem. That's the why I'm, mad. I'm really mad at myself. Yeah, tell us what the three by three is and give us a, a definition so that we know what the law is and the police aren't just going to bust out and randomly arrest people because of some vague executive order. Uh, it's three best dungeons. And a dungeon is an underground room that's made out of concrete that someone's imprisoned in with yep. chains. Nope. <laughs> I would just there say have under- to be chains on the walls. Would you just say underground prison? Underground prison. Yeah, it's like an underground area that's intended to be a prison, and it's like it's especially barbaric because it's underground, so there's no windows. This idea of being locked in a windowless room. Um, okay. You know, like the Tower of London, supposedly more civilized because you get a view when you're locked in that, but a dungeon. There's nothing to look at out a window. No one's going to escape through a window when there's a dungeon involved. So Wait, did they get the view in the Tower of London? There's got to be a window the, up there somewhere, right? Or do they put the windows up too high just to fuck with you? At least you get like, natural. Yeah, you're paying. Uh, windmill. Underground. Um, just oh, wow. Right. You, just gave, you just told me about another one that I should have thought of, yeah. Well, you've got time to, to jigger your list if you need to, Dingus. I'm not going to uh, jigger my list. Well, Dingus, you're introducing next week's topic, so actually maybe you don't have time because you've now got to tell us what's your third favorite dungeon. I predict lots of repeats. Mm, I'm Say good. that again, Kelly One. I predict lots of repeats. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> they came together uh, as the worst movie of all time, I've decided. Is it like a dungeon for you? It is. It's a narrative dungeon. That dungeon's scene. an interior location scene in a movie. That's a dungeon. A, that, tell me about it. You can say that again. That's a narrative dungeon. That's a yeah, horrible. Were you <laughs> watching news crawls during that part? I, I wish there had been some. 
He wanted them to be in a sports bar for once in his life. Well, Tinder, can you turn uh, on the TV before you do this line again for the 18th time? What if Ruby Rose had been doing that line with Keanu in sign language? Down with it. For the same amount of time. 90 minutes of that, cool with it. Ready? As long as it's sure out loud at the end. I'll only take three minutes. Uh, I mean, um, anyway, um, three best dungeons. Right, my number three, uh, here's a quote from it. I have need for you on the master sail barge, and I think you'll fill in nicely. Uh, um, Star Wars, the Star Wars one where they're fighting on those uh, the, over the Sarlacc. Yeah, but this is from Return of the Jedi, not from Star Wars. There's well, no such thing as Star Wars. There's Star oh. Wars colon A New Hope. I, th- I believe, Dingus, I actually believe that you believe that. I believe that you are so <laughs> indoctrinated by Star Wars that you believe that. I believe George Lucas has gotten to you. Yeah, he New hope. He has, Dingus, George Lucas has Martha, Martha Marcy May Marlene'd you. Hmm. Yeah. That's a, not a dungeon, is it? <laughs> I can't even, he what has, is Dingus even talking about? Where the, where the, what's, uh, what's the great is when, when George Lucas, uh, composed a song for me and sang it with his acoustic guitar. <laughs> he totally won me over the Star Wars universe. Uh, it's from Return of the Jedi, and there's the there's a dungeon. There's a the Jabba has a dungeon underneath his weird palace, where three um, PO is taken down downstairs to, and oh. all these dudes are kept. And that's where the the guy first does his uh, entrance interview and says these lines to him. But that's also, if you consider where the Rancor is kept, is basically a dungeon. No, it's a, yeah, to imprison a rancor. I think that applies. Yeah. I mean, I'm but not. Do you mean the robot now. dungeon, or all of it? I mean, all of the that whole catacombs of dungeons. I don't know if you can call them catacombs, but the whole series of dungeons under Java's palace. Um, hey, when they flip that power droid over and burn its feet with brands, mm-hmm, and then it goes a- Wah! horrifying. Yeah, is, so it was programmed to make that noise if its feet were branded? They well, had that as an app? Yeah, of course, because they don't want – I mean, pain is really a, a sensation that makes you get away from something that's bad for you. So it makes sense that a droid would be programmed to react to pain. If he was walking on something that's hot, he would move away from it. And if he was forced to stand on something that's hot, he would scream so that his master would come and take him off of it. Well, you know how they got around that is with the later R2 models, they just gave them jet engines so they could fly away if, they were, mm. if their feet were on something hot. The later ones, right. The later, the later, earlier ones. Jet engines. Thanks, George Lucas. Um, wait, and then isn't, that, isn't there one where they pull the uh, droid's arm out, but it, it doesn't yeah. go wah? It just that droid is called spot. C-3PO Caliwand. I don't know if you know he has a name. Well, he's he in a different... Seems- He's actually at a different part of his torture than that other droid is. I don't know why they're torturing the droids. That part of the dungeon is weird. But Wait, is that Jabba's house? Just, they're doing that at Jabba's palace? That's where those scenes yeah. are? Yeah. He's a droid torturer, professional. Yeah. To get information, obviously. Or to accept other Jedis who are looking into the future so that they will come there and get tortured. Can you so walk towards a, a droid? I don't know. Consider this day and you, you, I would guess since they take baths in oil, you oil board them. Right, exactly. You water motherboard it. Oh, Kelly Wand wins. Hooray <laughs> for Kelly. 
<laughs> well, thing is, mine is similar to yours, um, but I. So that dungeon is just so that Luke Skywalker has a place to fight a Rancor, right? Yep. Yeah. My Worst dungeon, mistake you'll ever make. My third favorite dungeon uh, is you only get a little teensy glimpse of it, and it's in Fellowship of the Ring. We haven't seen Gollum yet. Uh, I don't think. Uh, our first look at Gollum is his his hands uh, while he's yeah, being yeah. tortured on a rack, and this is uh, this is Gandalf talking to Frodo about how he's tracked down you know Ring backstory, uh, and they'll they <laughs> they show us a flash of Gandalf being tortured because Frodo says yeah uh, and I'm sorry Gollum being tortured. Gandalf says Gollum was captured by the enemy and he was tortured for God only knows how long, and he only ever said two words. Uh, the Shire, or Shire, one word, uh, and Baggins, the other word. Uh, and then there's a brief glimpse of an orc dungeon, and it's real busy down there. There's like orcs going back and forth, like it's a crowded restaurant or something. And then you see uh, Gollum's fingers writhing around in pain while he's being stretched on a rack. So I just mm. like that this is, this is our first glimpse of this creature who we are going to alternately uh, pity and loathe. Uh, and we begin by... Uh, somehow pitying him, I guess, while he's undergoing this uh, undergoing this painful torture. So that's my third favorite dungeon. I'm Although, pulling you over. Why? Because we don't really see the dungeon. Yeah, we do. Okay, I mean, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to let you go with the warning. Wow! Because I, I was about you didn't to say, even ask for his license or registration. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> I'm assuming it's underground, right? That's goblins that live underground, though. Maybe it's not underground. It's the Tower of Mordor. <laughs> oh, you're right. No, but Mordor's got caves and stuff. There's two towers, Barad-dur and Orthanc. Right, Saruman's in one, and Saruman is in another. Right. Yeah. Galadriel's in one. Which one's your favorite, Orthanc or Barad-dur? I'm an Orthancerst. Me too. It's closer to a nice forest. Because a lot happens at it. Yeah, like palantirs get thrown from it, and trees attack it, like in the happening. Worm tongues falling off of the ramparts. Yeah, yeah. And Saruman falls off of it in the director's cut of the third one, and then he falls on a paddle wheel, and no one cares. They just watch it as the wheel suddenly starts turning. And he's like, I wonder hmm. is there is there a dungeon in Orthanc? Or there isn't because he has to put uh, Gandalf on the roof. Yeah, that's true. But he has a dungeon where he's making orcs. They're born out of the shit. Uh, in Vietnam? That's not a dungeon. They're just in a huge pit. A pit isn't a dungeon. Well, Kelly Wan, why don't you school us on what a dungeon really is? That's not what J.J. Your... Abrams says. <laughs> Give us yeah. your number three pick. Wait, is school a dungeon pun? For, for some people. <sighs> My number three favorite dungeon in a motion picture is in the life of Brian, where the guy uh, is annoyed because he says Brian's getting favoritism because he's been on, like, the rack or, like, chained to a wall for 40 years. And so Brian's getting crucified, and then his roommate's like, oh, he's getting crucified? Oh, favoritism. <laughs> But it's just like a wall he's been Could you give us some actual, he's upside down, too. Could you give us some actual Monty Python quotes instead of just paraphrasing? Favoritism, ex-parrot, uh, funny walk, uh, blimey. Right, I remember those scenes uh, blah, blah, in Life of Brian. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Isn't that the famous lines people yeah. do at the Revenge of the Nerds party? You got it. 
Life of Brian, the Quadic. All right, Dingus, your second favorite dungeon. <laughs> All right, here's a quote from it. A disaster. I did not come here to share our grief. Instead, I offer to share a far richer sacrament. Hmm. Fifty Shades? Fast and Furious 7? <laughs> this is from a movie Sarkoz? I think I'm the only one who liked called Thor The Dark World. Oh, you like that movie? Ugh. <laughs> That's the worst. I hate that movie. Fucking Thor The Dark World. That's what I call it. Go with the stupid dark elves. Yep. And the lasers. Weak. Ugh. <laughs> oh. You like Thor the Dark World more than the first Thor, even? No, I liked the first Thor plenty. I also liked Thor the Dark World. Oh. I know. We've done, we've been over this. We've been over this. I forgot. I keep forgetting you like that movie. I know. You give me the benefit like, of the doubt, and I think that's very nice. <sighs> There's a All dungeon right. in it? Oh, yeah. That's where oh, Loki is kept. Oh, um, that and, and it's a really what? well-designed dungeon. It's really... What'd you say? That's, what do you mean, what? That's what do you just mean, him uh, in, like, a glass room. It is not. It's called, repeatedly, over and over again in the movie, The Dungeon. <laughs> there are plenty of lines in the movie that refer to it as The Dungeon. No, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a dungeon. I'm just saying I'm surprised that you liked that one the most. I, I oh, love yeah, the way that it's cool designed. Dungeon. Uh, it, really? it doesn't. It doesn't beat the one that Tom reminded me of, but I'm going to stick with this one. Um, I, I like the design of it, and, the, and I'll, I'll probably post a picture of it. I just, I just like the way that it looks. This Asgardian dungeon that has these rooms that are behind these weird stone pillars, and behind this glass that's obviously magical glass. Uh, that's be, behold the power of Asgard m- making these force field things uh, that keep the prisoners in there and eventually the prisoners escape because of dark elves blah 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 uh, and then there's this really great scene that has that line that I just gave you where Thor goes down to ask Loki for his help uh, Loki's the last one of the last prisoners alive in there if not the last prisoner alive in there after everybody escapes because of the prison break from the dungeon uh, and, and he, you know, they, they have this confrontation and Thor says, all right, no more illusions. And Loki drops the illusion and he's this, he's obviously been trying to break out of the place. His, he's, his feet are bloody. He's like sitting against the wall, looking like a character from high rise. Um, he just looks totally broken. And, uh, and that's the scene that they have in this, in this Asgardian dungeon. I would have chosen High Rise from one of my picks if it had been underground. Mm. Low Rise would have been yours. Uh, my second favorite dungeon in a movie, one of the best things, you know, maybe, well, yeah, one of the best things to happen uh, to Darren Aronofsky's masterpiece, The Fountain, is Brad Pitt going, nah, I don't think so, and bailing. <laughs> and with it, all of the money that they were spending on sets. It was a huge, big-budget movie for a while. But once Brad Pitt bailed, uh, it lost its money. And rather than letting it just sort of slip away, Aronofsky made it with a smaller budget, with Hugh Jackman and his wife, Rachel Weisz. Uh, and I think it benefits greatly from 
him being forced to focus on its intimacy. And maybe it would have been great with Brad Pitt and a big budget, but I love what he did with Hugh Jackman uh, and Rachel Weisz and the, the intimacy that that movie has. However, for scenes like uh, one of the historical scenes, well, for, for the whole historical subplot, uh, it's supposed to have this, this palace in Spain and this Inquisitor's yeah. dungeon and, and there's these Mayan temples. And what he's forced to do is kind of suggest these settings rather than splash them out with a big budget. Like when he goes to see Queen Isabella, it's this weird room with weird little light things that, uh, and, and kind of like not mirrors, but little reflective surfaces. And uh, he just is kind of implying here's what the palace in Spain would look like. So similarly, when he's wanting to show you the Inquisitor's dungeon, because part of this subplot, part of this historical plot is that uh, this evil version of this oppressive Christianity is spreading like a cancer through Europe. And the locus of it is the Inquisitor in his dungeon, played by this Canadian actor with this amazing skull-like face and gravelly voice, a guy named Stephen McCaddy. Uh, and so he's the Inquisitor. And to suggest the dungeon, uh, Darren Aronofsky just have Stephen McCaddy presiding over some form of torture where people are like lifted up while they're suspended upside down and then they drop through the frame. Like you don't really know what's above, what they're being lifted into. I don't think you see what they're being dropped into, but he just creates this torture dungeon as a place where dangled people are raised and then dropped and you see their bodies falling past uh, Stephen McCaddy looking particularly evil. Um, so I, I like the dungeon that is suggested with a smaller budget in the fountain. There you go. Oh, Kelly awesome. won. Well, that it may, you can steal my pick, unless you've got a better number two. Is that how this works? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like a white elephant. Then kind of <laughs> Tom has to choose yeah. from either a pool of things or he can choose one of mine. Right. I give you the fountain, and now you tell me what you're giving me as your pick for number two. For, uh, it's like let's pick. make a deal. Sure, I bid a dollar. Uh, I bid one thousand and one dollars. Dollar. Is that what they do? On let's make a deal. They bid? some strategy. Uh, Dingus could explain it all about. You just bid a dollar over someone else's bid. It's like a real dick move, but it, it it's uh it's an effective way to win. That's Price is Right. I don't trust the game shows where the whole thing hinges on like a gadget, like the Wheel of Fortune or Joker's Wild. You could just stop at, I don't trust the game shows. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Point. Have you seen that Red, Robert Redford documentary quiz show? Mm-hmm. It's not a movie. Uh, yeah, that's true. I guess we should trust machines. There should have been a Terminator montage where the game show gadgets like attack people. You think Skynet plugged into game show gadgets? Like the, the Family Feud board, Skynet was running that? And a dustbuster does it. It'd be awesome if all that Skynet was interested in was game shows. <laughs> took over the world just to. Survey says. Wheel of Fortune. Humanity loses. Do you think uh, if Skynet took over, it would uh, give Return of the Jedi an R rating because of the tortured machines sequence? <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention the fact that 3PO is naked all the time. Yeah. His heart's <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> That's the Phoebe Cates uh, Fast Times thing for the Skynet universe. It's like, oh, it's so stretched out over the C3PO. Who's Judge Reinhold in this situation? 
Yeah. They have to rent. Machines rent tapes in this universe uh, that I've constructed. Is, they rent is videos. a Wookiee in the bathroom? Who's in the bathroom? <laughs> uh, this is the worst podcast ever. <laughs> Just in case you're asking yourself. Tom and Dingus. <laughs> Speaking we're not, of which... We're, we're, we're pretty sure. My, my, it sailed. My number two... Favorite dungeon in a movie. Oh my god. Is this really happening? What is what's my life become? Germany. I'm having an episode. I just want that Skynet universe to exist instead of this one. It just seems like we're going on the wrong track. But let me rephrase that. My number two favorite dungeon in a movie is in this Peter Sellers movie called Prisoner of Zenda that he made in 1979. And I just remember it was like a really well-equipped dungeon because it had like the Iron Maiden in it and the thumb screw. And uh, he was stuck in it. How does an Iron Maiden work? <laughs> could not see that coming. <laughs> Sounded more Black Sabbath, Kelly Wand. You could, you could yeah, But no, how does Iron it work? It's like a sarcophagus with spikes pointing inwards. And the moment you close it, you're just going to... Like you've killed someone, right? Like you've stabbed yeah. them 30 times. Right. right. And they never even asked you any questions. It. Yeah. Just doesn't seem like a very effective it. torture tool. Yeah, it's a one-time use, and then <laughs> you have to clean it up, too. Like, it's a totally annoying, and it's super cumbersome. Maybe there's, like, a tightening mechanism where you can sort of say, okay, okay, enough of that. Actually, to be honest, I do recall looking this up at some point for some reason. I think the idea yeah. is that it forces someone into a stress position where they can't like no. lean or move at all without being poked, I believe. Hmm. I don't think it actually pushes the spikes into you. I could be wrong about that. Hmm. Anyway, that'll My be safe. I'll, I'll be doing a three by three of your three favorite Iron Maiden scenes. My safe word is windmills. <laughs> if that helps. Dingus, what's your favorite dungeon? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, here's a quote from it. Is this making you sick? Can you smell that smell? This is from the movie Martyrs. Why is this a dungeon? Sure, yeah. Well, uh, Kelly Wan, are you going to dispute that? Go for it. I'm, I want to see this legal battle. Uh, can't be a dungeon if it's in France. <laughs> So Spain's okay. You're accepting Tom's yeah, Spain dungeon, but you Spain, England, or uh, Middle Earth. <laughs> That's the rule. Otherwise, it's a basement. <laughs> this is no. I'm just Spain kidding. Dungeon. All right. Martyrs. Yeah. I'm just jealous. I like it when you reference martyrs in three by threes. Yeah. Well, I re I only reference martyrs be movie. because of you. You're the only reason I ever reference martyrs. Oh, see? It's like you're my martyr. So, Dingus, explain this dungeon, because it is pretty striking. All right, so, um, boy, I'm reluctant to give stuff away about martyrs. Well, don't give, don't, you don't so have to give any context. Just explain uh, you know, what makes it a cool dungeon. So, basically, Dingus, it's, a, it's an underground cave with stone walls and flickering torches. Well, it, no. Mm, interesting. It, then what is it? It's it, it's the way that the dungeon is revealed because you go deeper and deeper into this house that looks like a normal house. That's one of the reasons why I was kind of 
contending with some of this topic because I was thinking for a while I'd been thinking about different uh, basements and cellars. Um, and uh, one of my runners up, well, I'll talk about this in a little bit. Um, and what's the difference between basement and a cellar and a dungeon? And I like the way that you defined it, Tom. And I think that this obviously, uh, obviously applies because what you, what happens as the character goes deeper into the house and finds this secret underground, pl- and I think underground is, is really a key to this, not, you know, we were joking about towers, but I think it's important to be underground, obviously, um, and finds a, a woman chained down in this um, underground area that you have to climb down into from what is otherwise a normal-looking house or a normal-looking structure. And, and I just love this idea. I've always had this really great affinity with this idea of things that are hidden and buried underground um, as, far to, as, as far as story elements are concerned. I, I love that idea uh, and th- this idea that, that she gradually goes underground and finds like a ladder leading down into the ground uh, to find this woman chained up down there uh, makes it a dungeon. And I just lo- I think the production design of Martyrs. I know a lot of people are hugely offended and have a hard time with Martyrs, uh, and I was super surprised that I liked it. But I, I'm I'm really crazy about the movie, and I think I, that part of it is that. I thought now maybe I'm wrong, but aren't isn't it like sleek metal walls with pictures of the Martyrs on the walls though? Or am I yeah, misremembering? Yeah. No, no, I think you're right. But yeah, because it's it super is. bright. It's it's like well lit, and there's these weird. The pictures might even be big old backlit posters or something, but uh, like it's a weird. No, but that's in the hallway that leads down. But then there's there's a there's a ladder that leads down through that, isn't there? I mean, I haven't seen Martyrs in a while. But yeah, isn't I that part of it because it was like all well lit and bright and had the pictures no. on it? It wasn't a typical dungeon, and maybe that's just something on the well, way. It, it is clean. It's not like right. dank and dirty and dark. Uh, it's not. It's not like dripping wet, like the walls seeping water. It's well kept. Yeah, if you're going to stay um, in a dungeon, it's probably like a five star one. Yeah, it's a yeah. It's Yelp, continental Yelp dungeon. really does do well with that. Yeah, it does get good. Yeah, right. Yelp definitely has good reviews on the it. Continental dungeons. Uh, well, similarly, my number two pick, uh, it's actually a storm shelter. This is your number one. Oh, sorry. My number one pick is actually a storm shelter. Uh, and it's not a dungeon at first. I think it's indisputable that it becomes one because a gentleman named Chris Cleek leads his family down there. And he's like, okay, I need you guys to clear out everything from this side uh, any small things, we can burn them. Everything else, just carry it out to the barn. Uh, make sure there's plenty of room over here. Uh, you can get that done by supper. I'm going back to the house. So his family clears this out. They don't know why. He eventually at supper says, you'll see, it's going to be really cool. And then he brings him down into the storm shelter the next day. Oh. And he's got Pollyanna McIntosh chained up down there. And she's all dirty. And she doesn't speak English. She's like this crazy wild woman that he found out in the woods while he was hunting. And the movie, it's Lucky McKee's. I think it's his best movie. I like it better than May. Uh, it's The Woman, a movie that Ooh. Lucky McKee did about this this bland George Bush-looking fella. And uh, Sean Bridges, I think, is the actor's name. He's great in it, who captures and wants to civilize uh, a woman who's been living out in the wild. And it is... Uh, Lucky McKee, as he demonstrated with May, definitely has a unique perspective on on women in horror movies. And the woman is 
just a, a violent deconstruction of women's roles in society. And I've forgotten this, but one of the first things that happens in the woman is he has her chained to the wall, and she's feral, and she's like snapping her teeth, and uh, he's knocked her out. And while he's checking, you know, like her, her pupils and her teeth and her fingernails, she bites off his ring finger and spits out his wedding ring, <laughs> which is pretty much a metaphor for the movie, is that I am going to destroy everything you think you know about your relationship to women. Uh, because another brilliant thing that the woman does, the movie, uh, is unfold more about this character and why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, you know, at first it's this idea that he just wants to civilize her and he thinks it's best for her. But as you discover more and more about him and about how he treats his family and uh, the eventually uh, he has even darker secrets. Um, and I love it's, uh, when she gets loose, spoiler, uh, it is awful and it is awesome and it is a really gratifying finale, which I've always said is a difficult thing for a horror movie to do. Yeah. So. My favorite dungeon is the storm cellar in The Woman uh, and what it represents and how the finale when she gets out of the dungeon is really gratifying. Remind me, because uh, whenever you're talking about this, I just remember it being in a barn. Why do I just think of that? No, so there's something else in the barn, Dingus. So, so spoiler, yeah, I mean, the barn is the big reveal later on okay. in the movie. Uh, the storm cellar is where he keeps uh, her, but you do you do find out for some reason they keep a bunch of dogs in the barn, and that's referenced early on in the movie, and you don't really know why that is. Uh, so they keep oh, talking okay. about the barn. Have you fed the dogs? You know why are the dogs making a ruckus in the barn? You don't see the dogs. You don't know what's going on out there. So there's a barn that figures prominently into it, and I think that is. I mean, I don't, I don't know if Lucky McKee writes this way or thinks this way, but I think the barn is a way for – is sort of a, a symbol for uh, masculinity, and Pollyanna McIntosh imprisoned down in the storm cellar is sort of how men treat women, is they have their own barn where their secrets and their violent images are, their, their violent side, their, their masculinity is kept, and then they stow away femininity in uh, an underground – in a dungeon basically, which is what the storm cellar uh, symbolizes. Yeah, I think I commingled those two things accidentally. Uh, that, the woman is great. By the way, I loathe with a passion, and I watched it again today. God, do I hate the music in that movie. I oh, would wow. love a cut where I, there's just no music playing. I mean, if Lucky McKee, he basically got, I don't know if it's a friend of his, he got some guy to write these little indie rock poppy songs that he plays, and they're horrible. They're just so, they're so, like the woman would be so much more powerful if he'd given it more of a soundscape rather than just let his friend write songs for it. Right? God, I hate the music in that thing. Hmm. Uh, oh, do you guys man. remember the post-credit scene, by the way, in The Woman? No. No. It's adorable. Uh, it is kind of an Easter egg. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it's a post-credit. It's basically a short film. It's not a, he, he puts a little short film at the scene. There's this adorable little red-haired monkey that plays the youngest daughter in The Woman. And after the credits, he does a short film with her. It's with oh. animation, stop-motion animation, where she sails to a distant island, and she charms Cthulhu. Yeah, it's, it's a little it's a little story about femininity versus cosmic horror, and it's beautiful. I love it. Uh, and for whatever reason, he but, shot it and he put it at the end of the woman. So, well, I like Cthulhu's that. in the woman. 
Yeah, uh, I remember that. A, I remember watching that and thinking, what is going nation, on here? stop motion creature that she finds on the island, and it's clearly like a Cthulhu thing, and she smiles, she makes faces at it, and she smiles at it, and uh, flowers sprout out of it. <laughs> she is cave <laughs> Cthulhu. Yeah. By the way, Kelly Wan, did you see Pollyanna McIntosh on The Walking Dead this week? I don't watch that shit. <laughs> that was she's she's I get I assume that show's Walking Dead to me. Uh, well, you're, you're missing some Pollyanna McIntosh, complete with as awkward a haircut as she has ever had. Uh, Is she but the she's same the leader. character. Pardon? Kind of. Is she the yeah. Same? She speaks like weird English. You could say exact. You know what? She is the same character. Hmm. Having so a lot in common. Pardon? So she and I have a lot in common. Uh, did you escape from a dungeon and sort of learn vague English and then lead a band of survivors who live in a junkyard and keep a zombie with a metal helmet and spikes sticking out of it in a pit so that you can challenge visitors to see if they're worthy? Uh, yes, except for the weird English part. <laughs> I thought he said sort of like common, meaning the character that was That's in the movie I mean. we just thought. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, you bringing up music reminds me there are a couple of moments in John Wick where the music reminded me of a, of music from a Western, where like they were trying to do a Western kind of sting, like um, like a man with no name kind of sting yeah. of Western yeah. music. Dog it's with just, no name. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly why I thought that, Kelly. Oh, that's right. The dog didn't have a name. Yeah. Spoiler. See? So that leads us to your favorite dungeon, Kelly Wand. What do you got for us? Hey, uh, the woman's like uh, Fifty Shades, but set in the country. Nope, not at all. Don't accept that. My number one is... Uh, <laughs> Which country? It's in a big country. Dreams stay with you, dingus. Let me rephrase that. Like a lover's voice on a mountainside? My number one favorite dungeon in a movie. Uh, Speaking I'll of Scottish, real quick, Pollyanna McIntosh, Scottish. She does an American accent with her American in um, uh, in Walking Dead. Brits, people from the UK, cannot for the life of them. If you ever want to find out if someone is a spy from the UK <laughs> and over yeah. here to pass themselves off as American, ask them to say the word anything. They cannot do it. They say anything. It comes out as anything. Anything. It, Anything, one, anything. one of her first lines in Walking Dead has the word anything, and I'm like, oh, they let her keep her accent. That's cute. But then she talks more, and I'm like, no, oh, yeah, okay, they're trying to make her sound American. But the people in the U.K., they cannot say the word anything. It's just – it's got to be something like with their mouth structure. It's ironic that that's our toughest word to learn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I can't say on. anything in English. I cut you off while you were doing big country lyrics. We don't want to miss those. Carry on. Oh, uh <laughs> – Okay, I'll do a line for my number one. Can you do uh, 10 Years in a Leaky Boat after that? Or, or, or safety dance. Right, let's have some safety dance lyrics. All right, let's move on to Midnight Oil. Can we do some of those? It's an ex parrot Funny walk. <laughs> uh, let me rephrase that. Uh, my number one favorite dungeon is um, the ones in Cabin in the Woods at the end, all the monsters. Oh, jeez, yeah, that comment. I mean, uh, yeah, that was one of my runners-up is what I meant to say. That's pretty good, actually. I didn't even think of that. Because it's more like, okay, that, Kelly Wan, is that a dungeon or is that like a storage facility? That's the thing. I thought you <laughs> guys might pull me over for it. Well, we can't pull you over. You're the cop. Well, can we oh. do a citizen's arrest? Well, what about the judicial? 
<laughs> you could have chosen Tower Heist, and we couldn't do anything about it. Wait, how uh, do you choose Tower Heist? Because he's the cop. He can choose whatever he wants. Yep, the executive branch. Here's your punk-ass Bobby Pin. Good. Remember what wow. that? In Tower no. Heist? Eddie Murphy? The only uh, line I remember from that is, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> is that movie good? Or is it a McGee movie? Is Tower Heist good? It's Brett Ratner, sorry. It's a Ratner. Get those two mixed up. Oh, this I is War is McGee, and that's awesome. <laughs> the listener's right. <laughs> Aren't you going to explain, Kevin? <laughs> no. Anyway, go ahead with the listener. Paul Weimer writes, Three best dungeons, I hope to sell you on my picks, but avoid three-by-three three jail in the process. I like it. I don't, was he making a seller? Oh, yeah, he sell, like C-E-L. All right. I see, okay. Is picks like a pickaxe where you're like digging your way out? Finding puns. You've got the visuals on this. If it's if it's a visual pun, you're gonna have to explain it to us. Well, it was me thinking afterwards. That's what that silence was. Okay. I thought people would want to hear that. Is a pit in the ground that a poodle can fall into? Is that a dungeon? Put the loaf in the dungeon. Okay. I want to scoop it in. I'm just curious. Number three, the Dungeons of Ming the Merciless. Oh, I thought of this one, and then I stopped thinking about it. In Flash Gordon feature weird spiky head masks for the prisoners and hourglasses that go the wrong way. You have until the sands run up. <laughs> See? It's crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Hodges, early career. <laughs> Number two, in History of the World Part 1, we get all the all-singing, all-dancing Dungeon of the Inquisition. The Inquisition, here we go. Hell <laughs> Brooks. Yep. There was a dungeon in History of the World where at the end in the French Revolution one where there's like an old man and he's like got all these pet birds and he's like, We're free, fly and the, but they're all dead. So he's like he's like throwing them out the window. But he he thinks he's releasing them. Yeah, I can't get enough Hell Brooks. Was he as funny Number- as uh, Lawrence Fishburne? Number one, how can I not go with Princess Bride's The Pit of Despair as the best ever, complete with its life-draining torture device? And remember, this is for posterity, so be honest. How do you feel? <laughs> is that Christopher Guest? Yeah. That's, that's cute. Arthur Jovan and Jolly writes, number three, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Is Dingus the Prince of Thieves apologist? Probably. I, I, you know, I actually thought about this because this isn't a bad dungeon, actually. And this is this is the, a good pick, actually. Come on. The dungeon where the Alan Rickman, the Sheriff of Nottingham, places the captured members of Robin Hood's band after the raid on their hideout. It's very crowded and people are hanging upside down. Plus, it looks filthy and wretched. Number two, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Part One. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> It's anime for white people. <laughs> I mean, uh, those movies are good for kids. <laughs> the Dungeons at Malfoy Manor. I have to keep reading. Oh, yeah. Manor. Manor. 
Dungeons at Malfoy Manor, where Harry and Ron are hastily imprisoned after their capture by Fenrir Greyback and his Snatchers. <laughs> Kelly, I didn't hear that last part. What was that again? Uh, Fenrir Greyback and his Snatchers. They run into some old friends in these dungeons, and a major confrontation occurs as they attempt to escape. <laughs> I like that that's the detail they chose. Remember? The major confrontation that occurred? I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> you dick! Ugh. I hate people. No offense, Arthur, Jovan, and Jelly. How do you feel about Fenrir Greyback and his Snatchers? Uh, I already feel wistful about it compared to what's about to happen. So you opened for Squeeze in a concert? Oh, I might pass out. Number one, Persona 3, the movie, colon. Number one, Spring of Birth. That's the name of the movie. Persona 3, the movie, number one, Spring of Birth. The movie. The gigantic labyrinthine dungeon of Tartarus that the main character, Makoto Yuki, must navigate along with the other members of the specialized extracurricular execution squad, Akahiku Sonata, Junpei Iori, Yukari Takiba and Mitsuru Kirijo. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> the dungeon is an ever-changing maze filled with the extremely dangerous shadows, creatures that can trigger the deadly uh, apathy syndrome. <laughs> And C's must uncover, that's the organization, must uncover the mystery behind the massive dungeon, period. All they know is that 10 years ago, there was an incident at Tatsumi Port Island that caused a massive explosion and lead to an invisible hour being added to the day, the, quote, dark hour. Tartarus only appears during the dark hour, and C's must use this time to investigate it with the help of their personas. Adding to the mystery is that Tartarus appears in the location where Geku Kan High School is, and that is the school that they all attend during their daily lives. After Iwatodia Dormitory is attacked by a large shadow, Yuki awakes to his persona, Orpheus, and is pulled into the mystery that surrounds the dungeon of Tartarus. Tartarus is a really cool dungeon filled with rapidly changing environments and dangerous foes. It may be more of a dungeon in the D&D dungeon crawling sense, but I don't think those were taken off the table, so I might avoid getting thrown in a 3x3 dungeon of my own making. Sorry, Kelly, I couldn't resist, he writes. All right. Who were the and characters finally, again? I, I was writing those down and I didn't hear them. So go back. What were the characters' names? I need to get those down. Uh, 
Oh, I erased it. Sorry. Fuck. <laughs> Damn. Uh, now, I don't know if he's trolling you, but is Persona 3 really a movie? Because I know that's stuff from a, from a game. You might have just gotten punked, Kelly One. I'm not sure. What? Persona 3, stuff- the movie number one, Spring of Birth, isn't a movie? Is that your claim? I don't know. I mean, all that stuff, I actually, I mean, I don't know the specifics, but I know that stuff about the Invisible Hour, and that's the only time that you have the dungeon, and the kids are in school, and then they have to do the, you have to do your classwork during the day, and they go to the dungeons at night. Like, I've played those, some of those games. Uh, uh, Dingus, our friend Yuri, is uh, one of the prominent voice actors in one of them. Oh. Uh, so I didn't, I was not aware that there were actually Persona movies. Uh, so I, I might be wrong, Kelly Wand, but I think Arthur Jinvalalajeli might have just pranked you. I'm not sure. You're saying he made up the names Akiko, Sonata, Junpei, Aori, Yokari, nope, Takiba. Those are all characters. And in, nope. Those, oh, oh ah, you said you erased it. Yeah, you liar. Uh, those are all the characters you <laughs> oh, played. I just remember you, it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's your party in the Persona, in Persona 3. That's a party? That's your party? Your characters, you know, like like Gimli and and, and uh, Elrond and uh, Gandalf and Pippin and Balwog and whatnot. That's called like a Lord of the Rings. Tom. That's not called a party. Balwog. Oh, right, right. I forget oh. all their names. Bomber. Bull. Bombers. Bomber's the one everybody forgets. You He's can name fat. all of them, but then you get to Bomber and you're like, oh, right, that's the one I forgot. Yeah. You forget Bomber? Yeah. I always Oops. forget that there's Dory, Nori, and Ori. I don't know what you're talking about. It's Sleepy, Sneezy. Dopey, Kelly, Tyrion. and Bomber. And Doc. Doc is the other one people forget, right? Tyrion. Kelly Wand. Oh, gross. <laughs> oh. And Kelly Wand, Too what soon. Arthur Jilvalala Jelly just did for you, that right there, that's the cosmos getting back at you uh, for your bailing imitation. Yeah, that's true. But then it makes me sound even more racist. Look, he just hates everything Asian. Oh, yeah, did you start three-body problem yet? <laughs> See, no, you love Chinese science fiction. I do, and I love Three Kingdoms. That's yeah. one of my favorite books. And I like, uh, there's a Japanese porn star named Akiho Yoshizawa. He's really good. What What is he in? What What movies is he in? He's amazing. And uh, <laughs> the third Persona movie, it's got Spring Birth in the title. Uh, how do you actually know who a Japanese porn star is? That, are you making that up? No. Akiho Yoshizawa. There's one where he's no like a teacher. Huh? It means no worries. That's, you just triggered Dingus' little knee jerk. That's, that's something right. he says anytime he hears a foreign I word. I can't help it. Tell like brothers. Like... So what? Akiho Yoshizawa? Yeah. Check her right. out. All right. It's good shit. She's very committed to her roles. <laughs> I learned a lot from her. You can learn moves from porn. Chris Webb writes, number three, a quote. Oh, wait, was she a great big fat person? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, Chris uh, did write in about the movie, but he hasn't seen it yet, so I didn't read anything that he wrote about it. How does that work? He he wanted to know what we thought of Boondock Saints for some reason. (laughs) I've never seen it. Should I? I mean, I get enough. No, I get my, I, Norman, my Norman Reedus fix in Walking Dead. I don't feel I like don't I don't care for Boondock Saints. No. There's two of those fucking things. Yeah, he made a sequel. That's right. Yeah. It made it. Uh, did you ever know the documentary about Troy Duffy? That guy who made it? 
That's not what Overnight what? is. Overnight is a Patrick Bryce movie. I like you. <laughs> um, but the, the, the reason I bring this up is that uh, one of the things that he does say in his email, Tom, is that he can't abide CG blood effects. Uh, Normally they're awful, but to, yeah, I mean that, you could do far worse than John. Again, it's like you see more crappy action movies, and you'll 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 appreciate right. John Wick's not that bad. Right. I, I'm not a fan of, of Boondock Saints. I, I much prefer Phil Janu's. Uh, uh, I think it's called State of Grace. Um, that I think <laughs> is a much better a much better treatment of that whole like Hell's Kitchen thing. Boondock Saints is dumb. Oh, there you go, Chris Webb. Sorry, Chris. Have your I answer. Good, Kelly. Go on with me. Chris Webb. Chris Webb's big it's fat It's not hat. good writing. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's a. It's like the one of the worst Tarantino ripoffs. It's like why? It's like you. Never mind. Chris Webb writes. Oh, we should get me a fact first. The the sounds of the lambs, the pit, or if a pit isn't a dungeon, then the whole area underneath the house. Stranger than fiction. <laughs> Jeez. Remember that dingus? Nope. Nice! You should have said nice at that. <laughs> that would have been a perfect nice. I, was, I wanted you to do it. I can't do it. I'm never that enthusiastic about it, anyway. Do you I'm ever do that during that. a Kiko Kusasawa uh, movie? <laughs> yeah, with my free hand. Oh, I shouldn't have asked dingus. Um, do what I get? Yeah, so you think I'd learn by now after year five, seven, ten years of this podcast? You think I'd learn? Nope. There's a Japanese comedy trope where if a girl shows too much skin, the horny guys looking at them get nosebleeds. What? And I think no, yeah, I and I've that. seen it like a, a thousand times, and it's like a known thing. Like, oh, everybody. Why, where would you have seen that? You don't watch anime or anything. Where would you have seen that? I watch Asian. Things. Is it possible <laughs> Kelly Wan's been in Japan this whole time and just telling us he's in Germany? <laughs> Wouldn't I be sound happier though? You might be sound happier. Uh, Chris Webb's number two writes is written <laughs> as. <laughs> uh, this is bad even for the internet. Me speaking, I mean, not Chris Webb's writing. Number two. Quote, oh, wait, was she a God-blessed French person? <laughs> Who says that? The Passion of Joan of Arc. The American Heritage Dictionary <laughs> tells us that a dungeon can refer to a donjon. See, if you if you got to open with explaining how a dictionary definition proves that it that fits the topic, uh, then the rest of the sentence... American Heritage Dictionary tells us the dungeon can refer to a donjon or a castle keep. Speaking of which, apparently Scarlett Johansson no longer has a little Frenchman in her as she's separated from her husband. We're back in the game, fellas. I don't I know that either. I didn't know she was even married. Who knew? She gets married a lot. She, wasn't she married to Ryan Reynolds, too? I have no, no idea. No one can keep her. Who will yeah. tame her? Anyway... Ms. Joan Dark is held in a castle keep by the English or something, and it seemed to be kind of a drag, which means it's probably a pretty effective dungeon. Second best dungeon. Number one, quote, oh wait, was she a gaunt, beaten French person? 
Kelly wants step down. My number one's anything other than martyrs. I think more terrifying than a grimy medieval dungeon is a sterile medical facility dungeon under a suburban family home. Dingus, he stole your pick. Very good. Yep. You can have it. On an adjacent note, I recently had a great time revisiting the episode where Dingus revealed he'd watched Dark Star, Human Centipede, and Martyrs for the topic things <laughs> you've never seen before in a movie. It brought Kelly such joy, and Dingus's enthusiasm for martyrs, akin to a schoolboy phoning a friend to say he just lost his virginity, makes me so excited to watch it again. <laughs> Tom, of course, punted on the topic, but there was Miroski avoiding a fair catch and taking one to the house. That was the week of making Dingus watch not for Dingus movies. Right. And you didn't even know what was going on that week. No, that's how you knew, separate it from all the other weeks. Yep. Markinson writes, hey guys, it's hard not to think about anime when the topic of dungeons comes up. Here we go. I have, however, managed to come up with three non-anime oh, Markinson. Oh. Canadians. They're nice. He loves me. I also suspect I might get in a little trouble with my dungeons being similar to prison cells. Number three, the Beastmaster. <laughs> Always a number three. The dungeon that Zed and Kiri go to rescue King Zed from the evil clutches of the high priest Max with two A's. I'm going to accept it. <laughs> Zed. Really, Beastmaster and Zardoz have the same protagonist character. Number two, Robin Hood, Disney animated version. Oh, my fucking God. Oh. That's my favorite Disney movie. And the super hot fox. Yeah. She's foxy. The dungeon where Friar Tuck and the rest of the animals are being held by the sheriff. That's all he says about it. Number one, Life of Brian, the dungeon which holds Brian and Michael Palin. I still laugh as Brian complains about his treatment, only for Palin's character to wish that he was treated like that. Thanks, guys. Chris. That's no it. Anime. All right. No anime. Three listener submissions for dungeons. That's how many people listen to our founder podcast. There is a movie coming out next week that I got to see a press screener of called The Girl with All the Gifts, which has a really cool dungeon and reveal about what the dungeon – it just starts you in a dungeon. You're like, what? Why are people in this dungeon? What are they doing? Uh, and ideally – and I don't know if this is possible – but uh, you should see the movie without knowing any of those answers, which the trailer will, of course, spoil. Hmm. So there's that. Other runners-up? Um, I have a runner-up. Uh, it would be from Silence of the Lambs, but it's not what everybody else is talking about. Um, I think the Baltimore Psychiatric Hospital, as it's filmed by Jonathan Demme, actually works as a dungeon more than a prison. Uh, just by the way it's filmed, and I think he does that on purpose. Um, it's not really the way it's described in the book, but uh, I'm not I'm not saying that 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 pit that uh, James Gum keeps Catherine in isn't a dungeon or where the dog gets accidentally not accidentally where she lures the dog down to fall down into isn't a dungeon. Uh, but it's 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 a well and a pit and a basement. I, I don't know what it is, but I think you're right, Ty. Probably a dungeon. But I think that the Baltimore Psychiatric Hospital, the way it's filmed, this old, gross hospital, 
um, that that Clary Starling has to go down into, and where they're held, where the those the worst of the worst essentially, where people like uh, where Hannibal Lecter or multiple Megs are held, looks like a dungeon and and kind of has the same sense of a dungeon. Uh, I didn't pick it because it felt more like a prison than a dungeon. And it's a psychiatric hospital, but it's clearly filmed as a dungeon. I mean, I could be wrong, but I do think that the word dungeon necessarily means something underground. And that's underground, yeah. Oh, it is underground. Okay, in that case. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they, the, well, what take us your find then. Yeah, which you can pick when, martyrs. Yeah, after she meets yeah. with, with Dr. Chilton, who runs the establishment, they go down stairs and downstairs and downstairs and oh, downstairs. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. And they're clearly in this weird underground area um and that's not i mean if you look if you watch the movie uh manhunter i mean it's it's much more it's much more of a bright you know with brian cox it's it's much more of a bright open space in kind of like a, a traditional looking hospital room rather than this weird underground area well that, brian that looks, cox is a lot less dangerous than anthony hopkins Definitely, yeah. You would never, you would never put him on a dolly, right? Kelly, no one puts any Cox up on a dolly for you. <laughs> what? I almost was going to pick Cube, that, the, the Vincent Natale movie, where the as a space dungeon. Oh, uh, okay. That it, would I've gotten in trouble? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I think the dungeon. Your definition would probably be stricter than mine, even. So I was kind of. I was gonna let you have just whatever you wanted. Thanks. You can't have. Uh, I mean, I don't know. If you, if there's got to be a way to have a dungeon in space. I yeah. Don't know what it is, but yeah, are those cubes even in space? What do we find out about them? I don't remember. They're on Earth, aren't they? Ew. Okay. Aren't they like a corporate shell game or something? I think you're right. Right. I do think <laughs> right. That is the reveal. Yeah. But I guess they could be in space, too. Mm, they have some sort of extra-dimensional properties, I believe, right? Right. Yeah, but I don't think they're in space. Yeah. Because I also, I, I thought my cabin in the woods would be too, would be, was kind of slippery, so I was going to, like, give you guys a leeway so you'd let me keep cabin in the woods. I really do. Th- I mean, it's like a storage, what's the difference between a storage facility and a prison other than how you regard what is imprisoned, right? Yeah. Like, uh, if they're subhuman things like monsters, uh, you know, it's, you might not think Dungeons are people storage facilities where comfort is a low priority. Underground. <laughs> but then you just ruined yours because monsters aren't people. The mermaid is. It's a merman, first of all. Oh, merman. Yeah. Scrabby Whitford would be very, very disappointed if you rolled out a mermaid. Uh, I thought of Moria, but I guess that's not a dungeon. It's just a dwarf house. It's a dwarf fortress. It's just got a pest problem. But there's probably a prison in there somewhere. Yeah, but we don't like, see it. Where do they throw the dwarves who get drunk and like kick up a ruckus? You know, in so the Gollum's uh, toilet. Gollum what? has his own toilet in Moria. Yeah, he's actually <laughs> kind of fastidious. Is All right, irony. okay. I wasn't aware. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't read the book, so I didn't know that. Huh. Really? Wait. There's a book. Gollum so, gets uh, his own toilet? Really? Yeah. All right. 
I don't believe There's it. a whole module about it. <laughs> um, but uh, if I could bring the house down, I thought of the Bruin and Braveheart that Mel Gibson's in for a minute. And then she brings him the poison. She brings him the painkiller, and he spits it out after she leaves because he wants to feel the pain. Haha, you remember and then, Braveheart. And then also <laughs> the one in Young Frankenstein, where he's just standing and he's chained up, and then all the peasants are jeering at him through the window. And I thought that's kind of a cool touch. Is like a dungeon where the crowd can fuck with you, like you're in the stocks. And he's just like standing there with the collar of chains around him. Since you're such a fan of of Mel Gibson movies, how is that Hacksaw Ridge thing? That's a Mel Brooks movie. No, but you mentioned Braveheart. Oh. Um, Not not a Mel Brooks movie. It's the other Mel. uh, I wanted to see Hacksaw Ridge until I found out it's about someone who doesn't kill anybody or something. And then I'm like, meh. You're going to do a war movie with that, right? But it's still R-rated. Well, other people get killed, probably. It's just he doesn't do it, right? Yeah. Thing is, Wait, we need it's about to see a medic? Hacksaw Ridge for us. Yeah. See the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. All right. Please. All right. Come on. Do it. Uh, I watched well, Shudder. You're going to watch Shudder? Well, I watched it. I'm trying to entice Dingus. By saying that By you watched watch. Shudder? Yeah, I watched it on Netflix. <laughs> that Shutter. horror movie, Shudder. Yeah, about an evil camera. Right. Show. How does that make Dingus... Oh, oh, I see. You hit, took that bullet, so Dingus has to see Hacksaw Ridge. Is Shutter yeah. up an Academy Award? I think so. Okay. It For came what? out in 2008, but I think they're going to give it a special exemption because of its content. Kind of like a Lifetime Achievement Award that you give to Yeah, right. and it's topical. Okay. Well, um, I watched Rings, so yeah, Dingus, you've now got to see Hacksaw Ridge. So there you go. Excellent. Dingus, you also have to tell us what next week's 3x3 three three is and what movie we're seeing. Ooh! Wow. All right. So for next week, uh, this was inspired by seeing a bunch of Thor The Dark World this week uh, as I prepared for my favorite Dungeons and movies. Now, I've already done a topic. It was my topic. It's called Three Favorite Landings. But this is uh, this is specifically your three favorite tripod landings, which is a thing that happens in movies. <laughs> It largely happens in superhero movies, but if you can figure out another way to do it, that's fine. Uh, It's generally a way where a a character lands on one knee and two hands, um, and that's like a superhero thing that happens. These are known as tripod landings. So these are two knees in one hand, or do I have it backwards? I think you have the I think you have the tripod in reverse, Dingus, right? It might it might very I might very well have it. <laughs> if you land on two hands and one knee, it's like a dog taking a beat. Yeah. And it probably you're doesn't a, look very impressive to your opponent. You're doing a cartwheel. Dingus <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even know what a tripod is and he's trying to get like he's got it completely backwards. Well both of you those are number, three. Right? Doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. I had the yeah. number right. All right. I thought well, it was a big joke. We can all right, so it's one leg, one hand, and uh, so anyway, fall? your three favorite tripod landings for next week's podcast, uh, and you can send in your choices for your three favorite tripod landings to uh, 3x3 at quarter3.com, and you can also send in your ideas about the movie we're going to see next week, which is a little movie called The Lego Batman Movie. 
You mm. can send that into three by three at quarter to three dot com as well. Just send it in under a different subject heading, please. If you could use uh, Lego Batman as the subject heading, you can send as many uh, pics for your three by three about your favorite tripod landings as you like. Uh, you can send in two, you can send in one, you can send in three. We're only going to read three, but uh, if you only have one, <laughs> by, by all means, just send, send in, in 38. We'll send read in 38. We'll read three. I'll just pick which ones I like. So these uh, are your three favorite tripod landings, and next week we will be seeing the Lego movie. Uh, right. The Lego Batman movie, sorry. Right, right, right. Not the Lego movie, right? Make sure it's the Batman right. one. Don't ask for a ticket to the Lego movie. Yeah. Because yeah, that's not. I don't don't ask for Batman. Yeah, don't go see Batman. Whatever you see, don't see Dark Knight Rises. Good lord, avoid that one. Yeah, yeah definitely avoid or that. Or Dawn of Justice. Don't see anything with Adam West. You'd really screw that up. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. join us for that. Uh, I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And with Kelly Wand. Join us for that. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, sherry, and we provide the rest. Soup du jour, hot hors d'oeuvre, why, we only live to serve. Try the gray stuff, it's delicious. Don't believe me? Ask the dishes. They can sing, they can dance. After all, miss, this is France. And a dinner here is... Do you fear damnation, Kelly? I fear damnation, Alley isn't going to be on Blu-ray this year. Is that what you meant? Fuck off, Kelly. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! That was not your choice to make.